0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing
2: gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Yes, Moreno, good morning to you all around New Zealand. Uh, First of all, our thoughts go to uh, everyone in uh, Auckland and uh, in the far north as well. Uh, Terrible times you're going through uh, that rain. It's uh, unrelenting and the damage it's been causing uh, for us people around the country not experiencing it and only just watching it on television and social media. Uh, We really do feel sorry for you and uh, hope that uh, the damage uh, where you are is minimal uh, and you can recover from it um, particularly uh, soon as well, so... Uh, our thoughts are with you as uh, we get into the show, which of course is in association with Brant, uh, our local John Deere equipment supplier, the green, the yellow, uh, anything uh, of that high class machinery that you're interested in uh, finding more out about, uh, then go to your local Brant dealer and uh, they'll look after you without doubt. This morning, uh, we will start with uh, some football. We're going to talk to Emily Longo, of course, uh, football fern. Um, she's uh, on the way back from injury, trying desperately to make the cutoff for the uh, Women's World Cup, which is uh, now around six, seven months away. It is creeping up. Well, I won't say creeping up. It's storming towards us, and those uh, ticket sales and that will be huge. I want to be a part of that. Uh, after 9.30 this morning, we'll talk to Steve Davis, world-renowned auctioneer of horse flesh in particular. He travels the world flying uh, his trade, but uh, he's at home at the moment in his own backyard doing what he does best at Karaka. We'll hear from Steve on the wash-up now that book one is complete. Uh, After 10 o'clock, Eddie Jones had an interesting press conference, so uh, Logan has uh, has burnt the midnight oil, I think it's fair to say, putting together a lot of clips from that. We'll hear uh, from the great Eddie Jones, i keep calling him the great. Uh, We'll stay in Australia from uh, 10.30 onwards and talk to uh, Nick O'Hearn, former Australian PGA professional. He's been with us before, Nick um, and, and we'll talk about Rory shall we we'll talk about Patrick Reid um, talk about Live Golf in Adelaide which is not too far away either just by the by plenty to talk about with uh, Nick Hearn after 11 o'clock uh, we'll be with uh, Darren Smith, the Hockey New Zealand High Performance Director, uh, how do we look, how do we look, how are our world rankings at the moment, what's the depth looking like Uh real we'll run, run Uh, I think we'll run a rule over that uh, from Darren Smith and just uh, see how that is progressing. Uh, A sports desk around about 11.20, a stump smithy at uh, 11.30, of course, and that's for 100 bucks today, 100 macaronis. And Andy Thompson at uh, 11.45 because it's Wednesday and that means it's rural roundup day as well. Well, this year we're all in on the FIFA Women's World Cup taking place in Australia and New Zealand and our listeners had a few questions around where the Football fans football are, are currently at leading into the next round of international friendlies against Portugal and uh, Argentina. So we thought we'd invite someone on to SENZ in the mornings who knows their women's football inside out. Someone who's made over 100 international appearances for New Zealand and with us now is uh, Football Ferns midfielder Annalie Longo. Good morning, Annalie. Thanks for your time. No problem, thanks for having me. Hey, look, uh, it's it's six months away. I mean, you can almost reach out and touch it. Can you believe it?
4: <laughs> I can't believe it to be here. Um, I think we've been sitting about it for a while now, you know, since the draw and um, obviously since the announcement, it's been a, a little bit of a buzz. And I think now we're in 2023, obviously had the home games not so long ago. And it's still all starting to come a bit real.
3: Well, that first game is against Norway on July the 20th at Eden Park. We know there's going to be a massive crowd there. And I would imagine, Annalie, you would love to be running out and standing there for the national anthem. How about uh, your injury process? Where are we with that?
4: Uh, it's, um, it's going well so far. We're, we're tracking on track, so uh, that's always a good thing. It's been a journey. Um, but these things, they do take time. Um, it's going to be, you know, it'll be a, a fine line, but I'm hoping to um, get back into training around that. May, June kind of area, and then, yeah, see if I'll I've, I've give myself a chance to, to be up for selection. So I'm doing everything I can, and, and fingers crossed uh, I'll be able to join the team in July.
3: Well, World Cups are all about experience, and, of course, um, yours would be invaluable, uh, especially on the back of the news, that after 82 appearances for New Zealand, Anna Green has decided to call time on an international career. Uh, one, was that a surprise to you, and what kind of impact does that have on the squad?
4: Yeah, I think that's, um, I think it is huge and I think it makes me feel old. <laughs> um, I think in the, the last week we've obviously had Rosie White, Anna Green and Abby Ursic uh, remove away from international football and those are three girls that I grew up playing uh, alongside and they've played, you know, many caps uh, alongside them. So um, I think it it is tough, it's tough as a team because uh, experience is needed at big tournaments um, uh, especially when it's at home and there's that extra pressure. So it is a big loss um, losing the, the quality of those three players. Um, in saying that, I mean, I guess we just have to thank them for their, their contribution. I think, you know, they all created an outstanding legacy and, um, you know, we want to keep pushing forward and, um, yeah, just appreciate what they did on the pitch. And um, I'm sure, no doubt, they'll be involved in women's football some way. Although it not be on the pitch, uh, I'm sure they'll be in the in the background supporting Um, the
3: group moving forward It is quite sad actually some very big names that uh, we won't have at our disposal that we're so used to Uh having around so uh, it's important uh, that the name uh, Longo appears on the team sheet Um, I um, uh, am certain about that Now listen uh, we've had time to to digest those performance against uh, the USA side Um, what do you think uh, the squad got out of that?
4: Obviously, it was a challenge and we knew that coming in with, you know, it being in, uh, not under a FIFA window, meaning, you know, majority of players that were likely to be in the World Cup squad weren't available. So, yeah, I think it was, um, I think a good opportunity for new players. I think obviously we saw a number of debuts across the two games. Um, and I think, you know, some people might get another opportunity in the separate tour. So that's what it's all about is, you know, that exposure and giving players a chance. And I think, you know, some girls might have and, and might get an opportunity. Um, in a couple of weeks' time in February. Um, and yeah, one occasion against the world's best. So I think defensively, there were certainly some positives. Um, I think that the thing, obviously, we saw is that the team weren't able to attack, and that's been something consistent um, for a while now. You know, where are the goals going to come from? Um, and so I think going into February, I think that's the main, main job is the team, you know, the team needs to score and the team needs to win games to, to give ourselves a chance. So um, we play Portugal and Argentina Um, in the next week or so. So another opportunity for players to obviously perform. But I think the most important thing is we need to start getting results and learning how to win.
3: So uh, let's talk about the availability of players going into those two last-minute important games. Uh, What about the FIFA window and the the change in squad is For the
4: the, the games just been?
3: No, games uh, that are about to happen. Where are we looking at?
4: Yeah. Uh, So it's a FIFA window, so all players will be available. Um, And so I understand it will be close to, if not a full strength squad. You're obviously missing Rare Percival with ACL injury, but um, I believe she's got a full roster to select from. So I uh, envision you'll see the likes of, um, hopefully, uh, Rebecca Stott back in the the mix somewhere. And, um, yeah, all the players from um, around the world will be be coming back into New Zealand, which is good.
3: What about crowds? I mean, we saw great crowds against the United States um, and that were just in friendly encounters when we were below strength. Now, what are you imagining now and, and starting to envisage going into this World Cup? Because, uh, you know, we, we've just had the, the Rugby Women's World Cup at the end of last year. Crowds were bumper crowds. Uh, but I think this is another step up worldwide anyway.
4: Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think we want to um, continue to keep moving forward every tour. And so, you know, we had an amazing experience in Christchurch, um, and then we're fortunate to to Wellington, broke the record, and then again in Auckland a few days later, managed to break the record. So, I think for us, we want to keep driving that, um, and every game we want to try and you know increase the increase the spectatorship, and um, you know really increase the visibility of 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 the ferns and you know women's football. And uh, yeah, we've got um, the women's World Cup qualifiers here throughout February, so a number of teams. Um, are coming to New Zealand to play in Hamilton and Auckland um, and it's just a real opportunity to, to you know, expose people to women's football and, and different cultures and different countries. The
3: side of, other side of the Tasman, of course, Anna uh, Lee, is that Australia have had to change venues for their opening match because they just don't think they've got the capacity at the Sydney Football Stadium. So they're heading out to, to a stadium which is much, much bigger. What great news.
4: Well, awesome news. I think it sets a bit of challenge, I think, for us. You know, we should be looking to, if we haven't already sold out the opening game at Eden Park on the 20th of July against Norway. Um, and obviously Australia are doing the same thing. They're really pushing it. And now uh, I think it's sold out within a, a couple of days. And so now they're, they're moving to a larger venue. So that just shows the scale of the tournament and how many uh, fans and, and um, you know, countries get behind their teams and travel and, and whatnot. I think I heard something that the u s bring over um, thirty thousand supporters alone to watch their games, so yeah i'm expecting um I'm expecting uh, people to not know what they're in for, and um I think you know if you are interested in football, I think get a ticket now because I think it will sell out.
3: Uh, They've lost uh, the United States. They've lost uh, Sam Mewis. That's the big uh, football news coming out of uh, their squad during the week. Um, How big of a blow is that to them?
4: Yeah, I actually saw Sam uh, last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago. She was in New Zealand for Rosie White's wedding. Um, And unfortunately, she picked up a knee injury and... um, yeah, hasn't quite been able to manage and settle it, and not quite sure what it is. So, but frustrating for her, and she's obviously an amazing player. So, a big loss. And saying that, she's had surgery now. She's on the mend and recovery. They haven't put a timeline on it, so that's not saying she won't make the World Cup squad. Um, but yeah, at least she's she's had surgery now, and and hopefully can start to move forward. And yeah, hopefully we we'll see her back in a US squad because she's such a quality person and player.
3: Obviously, uh, it's it's a, a really tough competition to win, uh, but you do have home advantage. What what aspirations? I mean, this far out, what would your aspirations be, uh, Anna Lee, from a squad point of view? Do you think?
4: I think for us, um, it's obviously win a game, and we want to get out of the group, so that's a, a goal we've set as a as a team. Uh, you know, we're realistic um, in where we are, and for us, you know. I'm, unfortunately we've come very close we've picked up a number of draws but we've actually never won a a game at a Women's World Cup so for us that's that's key and then from there we want to get out of the group so um, it's going to take a a huge effort there's some quality teams um, in our group and um, yeah I think it's definitely the right time for us and I I think it's uh, definitely more than achievable so that's what we're in for. And then once you're out of the group, it's anyone's game. I think it's one step from there. And, you know, any 90 minutes we've shown we can beat any team in the world. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And, ho- and hopefully we can create a bit of history.
3: Talking to uh, Anna Lee Longo, of course, um, so experienced. Uh, came into the uh, Football fans squad at the age of uh, just 15 and has played well over 100 uh, matches for... Uh, the side, uh, but at the moment out with injury, which means we get the benefit of your knowledge and uh, commentary. So, um, you've been uh, keeping a pretty close eye on the, the Wellington women's Phoenix team who have found some good form lately.
4: Yeah, it's been great to see. I think obviously had a very tough start to the season, uh, a number of different reasons, I think, but you've finally seen kind of a team come together in jail the last couple of weeks. So, they put in a great performance against Canberra and won. Five uh, zero, which was a little bit of a shock to everyone, except for the team. I think. I think they, you know, they felt they were deserved and and, and it was coming. And then uh, they obviously managed to back up a pretty harshy performance last week, um, going down to ten men pretty early, and and coming back to uh, secure a draw, which this year looks like they were they were going to struggle. So I think two good performances in a row, and hopefully that can continue.
3: What did Jamaica the, the the fourth goal against Brisbane? Should that have counted?
4: Yeah, <laughs> I I would have loved a bit of a wider shot. To be fair, it did look like it was onside. Um, and Mickie, uh, Michaela Robertson, very quick. So, um, yeah, it does make it hard to see. They don't show the best angle. So I think the, um, the Phoenix were a little bit unlucky. Um, so, yeah, a bit gutted for them. But, um, yeah, good, re- good result in the circumstances, I suppose.
3: Since coming into the Women's A-League, uh, what do you think um, the, the Wellington Women's Phoenix side have done for the profile of football in this country?
4: I think it's, it's been fantastic to see. Obviously, we would have loved, you know, wins and results straight away, but I think it's just shown a pathway. And I think you've seen the, um, the, the fans get behind the, the squad. They've had some good turnouts because you it's double headers. um, You know, you've seen some good numbers get in, in, in behind the team. Um, so I think it's going to continue to grow. And I think now, you know, uh, someone like Millie Clegg, you know, come through club football, gone through the National League and now getting her opportunity in professional football and, you know, putting her hand up, possibly a firm's call up and all those things. So it really has provided the pathway. You know, if we didn't have that, then, you know, would we know too much about Millie Clegg and, um, players like that coming through? No, probably not. They wouldn't have the exposure. So yeah, I think it's been a great step for, for New Zealand football and and, and the pathway of players
3: coming through. In terms of uh, the other leagues around the world, and in particular also NCAA footballer, is are we still sending a, a lot of uh, young women footballers over there? And and you know how the is it's a pathway good for them? Do, how do they match up against the local ladies?
4: Yeah, I think that's a very uh, a very good pathway. That you know something that New Zealand can not offer. So um, you just have to be. Um, logical with what school, and you're, I guess, what you want to get out of the experience in going over to the US. Um, and uh, I'm actually heading over in the next few weeks with the New Zealand secondary schools team um, to play in a tournament in Dallas um, to, to get that exposure and, and play against different teams and then to have scouts and opposition watch from universities. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and it certainly is a pathway. Um, it's just finding the best fit for the player um, and if that's, you know, heading over to America or trying to pick up a scholarship, uh, professional scholarship earlier than that, um, yeah, there is just so many opportunities now for female players coming through.
3: My hasn't the landscape changed since uh, you were a 15-year-old making your debut?
4: Yeah, certainly has. I'm a little bit gutted. I'm wishing I uh, could start my uh, journey again because um, there's so many more opportunities now. and. Um, yeah, you you'd have said I could play professional football at um, you know for your, in your home home country and and you know I'd be like oh <laughs> yeah a little bit gutted so um I, I'm so happy for, for those girls coming through and then I only wish uh, I had my chance a little bit earlier. Is,
3: is McCarty easy to work with? I, I never have. Is, is McCarty a problem, or is he is Daniel McCarty easy to work with? <laughs>
4: always a problem no he has got his good fun he, he is a he is a character and um he's very good at what he does so yeah it's been nice to work with him and he does make it fun coming to uh to talk about um to talk about football and life in general so he's the character
3: priority number one uh Annalie Longo, for you is to get that knee right eh?
4: it is uh the, the priority and um if you're keen on football come on down uh in a few weeks time we're in uh, Hamilton and and Auckland and and see the book ferns and and hopefully I'll be back out there as soon as I can.
3: Good on you it's been great chatting to you it's great that you've got that positive thought and uh, if that's anything to count for we will see you running out against Norway on July 20th and that will be fantastic. Uh, Thanks so much for your time this morning it's been invaluable I've loved chatting to you all the best.
4: Awesome thank you very much.
3: Yeah 9.25 here on SENZ and uh, yeah interesting uh, hearing from uh, Annalie Longo there that uh, her uh, fitness is uh, still hopeful, um, but, uh, yeah, a win. A win for the football fans at the uh, Football World Cup. First game against Norway. That will be a tough one. Norway have actually been previous winners of the Football World Cup, along with the, the United States of America four times, uh, Germany twice. Uh, so, uh, Norway will be anything but uh, a tough, uh, you would imagine, anything but uh, easy, I should say. They'll be very, very tough and very determined. So, that might be a hard first outing, but uh, always uh, strike while it's early and uh, maybe that's the best opportunity uh, for the football ferns uh, throughout the World Cup in, in front of a, a very heavily packed Eden Park crowd, you would assume. Uh, Logan, I, I just wonder if, if when uh, Campbell Johnson um, made his announcement to uh, the world a couple of nights ago, did you realise it would uh, go global? I mean, he seems surprised by the whole thing. I'm not that really that surprised because... Um, you put all black tag next to anything in sport and you get a massive drawing audience. So uh, I'm not quite surprised that it went as big as it has.
1: I think perhaps just more the global reach. Like I I imagine, you know, there'll be rugby clubs around the world that sort of take notice of this kind of thing. But like you say, you put an all, all blacks tag on anything, people will take notice whether it's a current or a former. I'm always of the belief that once you're an all black I'd always consider you an All Black. I mean, it's takes such it's such a hard road to get there, isn't there? Um, yeah, I'm not really surprised either. To be fair, because to me it is such a momental uh, moment, monumental moment. Sorry, I should say uh, in the sport in terms of you know trying to stamp out homophobia and rugby. I know you know we sort of talked about this a bit yesterday, Smithy. How in women's sports it seems to be a, a bit more you know, it's celebrated, it's more welcoming, and I think men's sport is trying to do their part to get there as well. So I think when you have someone like Campbell come out, people will gravitate towards that.
3: It'll be interesting to see if uh, he prompts uh, any more response or any anyone else feels uh, now comfortable enough that uh, he's made that uh, decision himself, whether anything else will follow on from that in terms of uh, other... High-profile rugby players from um, maybe it's not New Zealand for around the world because it's uh, hard to imagine that uh, there aren't uh, quite a few around the world who are living with the pain that uh, Campbell Johnson uh, was living with uh, all that time. So good on him. Uh, good luck to him too. Um, and uh, I, I guess he would feel absolutely fantastic. Would have been doubtful about doing it, mm. uh, but I would imagine he'd feel quite um, pleased that he has. Uh, a, a load off his shoulders but also the response, of positive response that he's got uh, from around the world. Mm, very interesting indeed. Uh, football uh, Newcastle leads Southampton 2-0 at the moment after just 27 minutes and that means they've got a 3-0 lead uh, in aggregate. That's in the Carabao Cup um, and we mentioned uh, yesterday that there was an FA Cup uh, replay going on this morning. It's between uh, Birmingham and Blackburn and after 42 minutes uh, still locked up. It's a nil all between Birmingham and Blackburn. Right, uh, we're going to go to the news, and, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to um, a man who was clearly the best in his field around the world, uh, and that's Steve Davis, auctioneer extraordinaire, about book one at the Karaka sales. 9.31 here on SENZ, and it's in a very important time in the uh, thoroughbred breeding uh, world, particularly down here in New Zealand, as uh, we've been um, making note of on this uh, show for the last uh, two days anyway. Uh, And we're going to uh, go to the finest auctioneer in the world, bar none. Um, Without doubt, if you've uh, seen this man in action on uh, channel uh, 263 on Sky over the last three days plying his trade, uh, you'll understand why he's simply brilliant at at what he does. He is a wordsmith extraordinaire. But in the meantime, uh, he does a terrific job in turning over some of the best horse flesh that uh, we can produce to various people around the world. Uh, It's a big welcome into the show this morning. To uh, the legendary for me, anyway, Steve Davis. G'day, Steve. How are you? Oh,
5: mate, you're a star for me, too. On behalf of everybody, the work you've done, I, I see you directing yourself, <laughs> redirecting. So, congratulations to you. Actually, I'm just looking at the horse lot 764 that I'm selling today. Uh, and if you want to get someone to buy it for you, be doing yourself a favour. A lovely horse. So, Good on you, looking Steve. The part uh, of you.
3: Always, work, You're always working, and that's the thing, and that, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. Um, over the last three days, of course, uh, we've had book one, which is supposedly the elite book uh, at Karaka. It's the one with the big numbers attached to it as such. Um, you've been um, monitoring the whole thing. Uh, these days the world has changed because it's so much more digital than it used to be. It used to be a, a handwritten exercise, but you've been able to keep up with it uh, sale by sale. What's your general feel been, Steve, over the three days, book one?
5: Yeah, look, the good horses have made very good money. Uh, There's no doubt about it. The Australians, God bless them. Thank you they're here. Uh, You know, we've obviously been underpinned by the likes of uh, David Ellis and Tiako and Go Racing and a few of the other trainers. But uh, it was just great to have the Australians, you know, on deck here. Uh, And they certainly picked out the ones they wanted uh, in terms of relative to reserve making overs you know there were very good prices obtained by uh, horses which meant very good competition you know and uh, that's just indicative of the stake money that's on in australia at the moment you know
3: okay so let's uh, look at the clearance rate um would um, new zealand bloodstock be happy with the, the average sale price the clearance rate compared to previous years
5: Yeah, I think so. No question it did crept up. It's often the case, you know, the market just finding its way that first day. So it was a little bit down below where we'd like to be. But certainly uh, day two and day three picked up. And by the end of it, I think we're sitting around 80%, which, uh, you know, I think they'd be very happy with that. And turnover, which is what they get paid on, Uh, And what goes back into the industry was up on previous years. So that's that's always a positive, you know. But I suppose we're always looking to make it better, and I'm sure they'll be doing that. But, uh, no, I think overall I'd be very satisfied. And a million-dollar top price, uh, it was always nice to see. Yeah,
3: well, we'll we'll, we might as well start uh, on that million-dollar top price. Uh, This is lot 586 yesterday, folks. uh, Sold late in the evening um, towards the end of uh, the third day. Uh a Bay Philly by Fastnet Rock, out of Test the World. Uh sold by Caramore One million dollars D C L S Ellis. well that's not surprising the the uh, purchaser. Uh were you surprised at the price?
5: Oh a little bit. Uh I suppose. Um you know you <laughs> it's hard to pick up it's like an iceberg isn't it with the number of buyers that can operate at that level uh and you need two people to be on it to get to that million dollar figure she was certainly a strong running type filly certainly looked the part and fast net rocks are uh, you know there's not many more coming through as he's an older stallion now uh but he's already made his mark he's a champion sire and his broodmares are going that way so she'll retain her value there's no doubt about it and i mean obviously she can improve upon that increase it if she was to to perform on the track as well um so yeah look it's uh, you know you get over a certain price uh, smithy it's uh, it's like buying real estate there's only so many people can operate at that level so uh, it was certainly great and good to see the competition she was as i said the queen
3: she was the queen absolutely the queen um look uh, in terms of uh, proven size what was the best performed you felt over the three days
5: uh, look, I think there's a highlight for the industry, probably SuperSef, the new first-season sire. You know, there's always been an interest in first-season sires, and it's just great to see. You know, we saw that initially over the coast, and that sort of set the, the bar, and uh, it continued on here, and there's been great support for the SuperSef selling, I think up to 600-odd which is marvellous for a first-season sire. And it just reflects the type he left and, and the quality of the mares that he covered. And I think it augurs well, obviously, not only for Waikato Stud, but for the industry, you know.
3: Okay, the, the depth was obviously there in, in terms of that. Um, and as you say, um, how far reaching was, was the interest from overseas, Steve?
5: Oh, huge. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, uh, I know they're spending New Zealand dollars uh, compared to Australian dollars. There's not much difference to some extent as there has been in the past. But, you know, they, they're just racing for so much stake money. Uh, it just encouraged them, Smoothie, to, you know, to go again. Uh, they're converting it back, as you can see them. Standing there, they're not looking at me, they're looking at the bid board, looking at the Australian dollar price and saying, yeah, I'll go again. Um, So, uh, you know, their influence, I think their turnover, their spend was up on last year. I mean, it's been marvellous the way it has, and it has changed, as you say, digitally. You know we've got people that came over, looked at the horses, uh, those that could get on a plane got out, went home and, and bid online, you know.
3: Okay, from, from your point of view, from an auctioneer's point of view, Steve, I'd love to know the, the process here. Um, you know, we turn up to a cricket commentary box and we have a roster on the wall. where We know what hours we're going to do, what time yep. we're on, what time we're off. How does it work with you guys? I mean, how do you divide yep. up the, the day's activities?
5: Very similar, actually. Um, we get given a list of the auctioneers' runs uh, this year, which is good. We're going in runs of 15. So I get a run of 15. Uh, I know my run throughout the day, so I'll go out and physically inspect each of those horses, talk to the vendor, have a look at the horse physically. Uh, I'll get my pedigree updates. I'll go through the pedigrees, identify things that I want to say There are a positive with regards to it. You're always looking for something positive to say about it, uh, whatever, whether it's a nick across, uh, whether a recent uh, highlighted performer in the pedigree. And then you get your turn up there on the rostrum. the horse gets two minutes in the ring. So, uh, you know, two and a half years comes down to just basically two minutes. So everything's got to. A line, as they say. Yeah, you, know, you know, I've always referred to it like speed dating, getting the buyer and the seller together.
3: <laughs> that's a, that's a very good way of putting it. A very expensive date uh, on some occasions, though, as well.
5: <laughs> uh, that, um,
3: that's very interesting. I like the process So You must have a, a vendor at the back of the box.
5: Yeah, invariably you have a vendor at the back of the box. So if we're getting close, your wingman. But like going out to a nightclub, he's chatting to the boat at the back to see, make sure that there's any variation on the reserve. And at the end of the day, if you've done your work and everything else, and they might be expecting 150,000 or 100,000 or 60,000, and if you're not far off that, uh, the vendor's gonna say, well look, I've, I may have anticipated it's worth this, buyers are telling me it's worth that, I'm gonna take what the buyer's done. So as long as you've done your homework, everybody's happy and they can turn around and say, you know, it's right. I mean, the last thing you want as an auctioneer is the vendor behind the book to say, hey, the half-brother won the group one last week, and you haven't mentioned it. Mm. You know, so that's, that's why you've got to do your homework, as, as you know, with your, your, the, the work that you're in.
3: Okay. Uh, the other thing of interest to me, Steve, you know a lot of these uh, buyers, um, you yeah. know, very, very well because you, you travel the world uh, and you do sales all around the world. When they start, these, the big players, uh, some work in the glass box upstairs, some appear at the doorway and that. Do you get the signs? Do you get the signs just what, with their appearance alone that they're, they're floating around?
5: Uh, look, the, the, the one thing about Caracas, which is different to a lot of places, is you get that high tide, low tide effect. You get the, the good horse coming about to come into the ring and the, and the auditorium fills up. Um, and so all of a sudden you look up and uh, there's Roger James over there. Uh, okay, there's still Cattell. David Ellis is back. Up the top right. right's Waikato. You get to know where everybody is and you and you look ahead a couple of pages. Ah, I can see this is the one they're coming for. So you get an anticipation for the, the horse that they might be coming in on. So, yeah, it does. It, it, and it, certainly it does create an atmosphere. We saw that with the last horse of... You know, the late Sir Patrick Hogan, and uh, we saw that on the big Philly too. The, the place certainly fills up when the good ones come in.
3: The differentiation is amazing. You talk about a million dollar sale yesterday, but yesterday you have to work just as hard, for instance, to try and eke out, say, seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 out of a buyer.
5: Well, that's it. And, and to be honest with you, Smith, I get more thrill out of somebody that comes in wanting 20 grand and getting 60. Uh, you know, or someone running 80 and getting 250. Because in effect, you know, something like that could be life-changing for them. And that's the beautiful thing. And then it happens at sales is you've got the buyer doing high fives, saying, yes, we got it. And the vendor behind the box crying because they got so much money. It's a beautiful world. That's the beautiful marriage.
3: Okay, now um, Book Two uh, begins today. Uh, how do we, uh, on the outside looking in, right? If, if people are looking to get involved or showing interest, what's the difference between Book One and Book Two, Steve?
5: Well, obviously, it's it's more about the pedigree, I suppose, of the horses. Um, these are the, the the next tier to some extent, but it's all about the individual, I suppose, when it comes down to it, and that's, and that's the, the how things have evolved over the years more uh, attention is paid to the confirmation uh, of the horse the physicality of the horse so um you know there's plenty of nice horses here in book two and uh, there's an opportunity that book two pedigrees are the book one pedigrees of tomorrow so to speak because i don't come out with stamps on their forehead smithy you know they don't come come yeah. out saying i'm going to be a champion because if they did that we'd sell five and then we'd have to give the rest away as a job lot you know we sell dreams that's the other thing i always say smithy i never sell horses i just sell dreams and uh there are you know 500 and something dreams about to come under the hammer in the next three days
3: one of the most um i think poignant parts about this particular sale was uh, right from the outset uh, where you now are doing your work um and the sir patrick hogan auditorium that must have been moving for someone with a history in the industry like yourself and and knowing those people so well
5: yeah exactly look at the disappointing thing for me obviously i was based over the coast when uh, Sir Patrick passed away so I was unable to attend the funeral etc but uh, no I think it's a great tribute to the man um, he certainly taught me a lot over the years uh, the various meetings we had pre-sale etc and uh, throughout the years I mean I go back I'm old enough to have done the parades uh, with Sir Tristram you know so uh, mm. yeah we're long association and it's great to see um, he has changed the industry in Australasia if not the world quite frankly uh, with his whole marketing approach to everything, uh, he was uh, he was a leader, and it would be interesting now uh, if he was to start out as a 20-year-old or you know mid-20-year-old. I think he'd still make his mark because of the way just you know the initiatives that he put in place, which are now replicated by people uh, worldwide.
3: Steve, you mentioned Super Seth before as uh, probably one of the stars of the new science. <laughs> Uh, do we yep. do we see the uh, the Sir Tristrams uh, uh, coming along uh, these days as well? Is there any perspective, Sir Tristrams, you can see?
5: Well, obviously we've still got Zavable here, um, and he's still kicking goals. That's uh, that's the exciting thing. Um, and I mean, we've, you know, we've got the likes of Al Manzor He left the Derby winner this year, so there's some green shoots, as we say in the industry, across has been going enormous, in particular here. Uh, and we just look forward to those horses going across the Tasman uh, and uh, and kicking goals. You know, we. I mean, I talked about the horse I just looked at, Lot Seven Sixty Four, by Tavachi. I reckon he's had the best lineup of yearlings this year, Tavachi. Um, and probably selling, uh, you know, to a, you know, if you're buying a Tavarchi this year, I reckon you're buying to advantage.
3: Steve, um, anything uh, perhaps on day one of Book Two that we should uh, uh, look forward to in terms of a star?
5: Uh, look, I wouldn't say. I mean, I, I've looked through. I've still got about four or five to look at uh, for my first I wouldn't say there's anything I've seen identify as a particular star, uh, but there's some nice horses, uh, very nice horses. And I'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see the competition on the top end, just how far they will go.
3: Do the, do the Aussies uh, and the overseas players they hang around for book two, or is it m- much more a domestic market?
5: Well, it'll be a lot more domestic, but they can't get out, can they, on the airplanes? That's <laughs> beautiful. Oh, um, that was, that's a, good, stuck that with a good the weather. <laughs> yeah, huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Thank you. <laughs> uh, look, look, I don't. Uh, I look, at, certainly there are Australians here uh, and staying on, but uh, this is really the playing field for uh, the uh, the New Zealanders to step in. You'll see the New Zealanders that are going to be buying yearlings to take back for the two year old sale. So uh, we'll see the Colts that uh, they'll identify and some of the fillies to bring back for the November two year old sale. They'll be active. Uh The New Zealand trainers uh, will be active, and obviously the Australians would have identified good types. So hopefully there's a depth of market, and uh, we'll continue on, you know. The one thing Steve an Davis- I like doing smithing and selling. Yep,
3: <laughs> yep, selling, 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 Stephen. you're very, very good at it. In fact, you're the best as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I love watching it. It's oh, just yeah. not just informing. No, it's, it's it's entertaining. I like the the spin that you put on it. Uh, the banter you have with your prospective buyers, the competition you engender between them—I um, think there's so much important uh, part, and, and it is a theatre. It is a theatre when you look at it.
5: Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, no question of it. And uh, yeah, look, I, I do it just to keep people in the auditorium. Uh, you want to keep a crowd there. Keep, you know. And as I say, if you're going to spend a hundred thousand, you might as well enjoy doing it. Well, let's hope so. Anyway. Yeah
3: yeah that's i think that's the underlying factor steve davis always a pleasure talking to you uh continue on your fine work over the next uh, two or three days uh, all the very best and thanks for your time i know you're very busy
5: Cheers, Smithy, thanks mate good
3: luck yeah cheers uh, steve davis uh there of course uh auctioneer um uh, he's a freelance auctioneer basically but uh here at home he's working on behalf of new zealand bloodstock of course and uh he's a powerful man that uh Sir Peter Veller, isn't he, when you can turn around and say, um, I've got to keep my buyers, my overseas buyers here. we better close a couple of airports. Ah, oh, man, you're that powerful. Uh, it's 9.45 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll be back shortly.
2: you got to know when to hold up, know when to fold Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away, and know
3: when to run.
5: Bed live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
3: Well, we're still alive in yesterday's multi because we have got Newcastle to beat Southampton in the Carabao Cup, um, which is uh, at $1.36. That was on the top of uh, the Sacramento Kings and the Washington Wizards both winning yesterday. So we stand to make three fifty if uh, Newcastle can hold on and, uh, to that 2-1 lead or at least increase it. Uh, today, though, we're going to stick with uh, the double basketball football theme and we'll go with the clippers to beat the chicago bulls at a dollar 63 later this afternoon also uh quite late this afternoon uh, the denver nuggets uh taking on the, the new orleans pelicans uh they're the favorites at a dollar 38 the nuggets will have them tomorrow morning french football reims to beat lorient reims to beat lorient at a dollar 83 uh, and that will net us $4.11 in terms of today's multi so all eyes on newcastle Uh, We've also, uh, in terms of uh, the next hour, of course, don't forget we're talking or hearing from Eddie Jones uh, for the first 15 minutes or so. That'll be interesting. Um, He had a press conference and it's all talk. We heard that little plug there saying he's the media's dream boy because uh, he creates so much copy with some of the things that uh, he has said, including we're coming for the All Blacks. I'm sure you can hear the rumbling around the country, the nervous All Blacks, Uh, the Wallabies are coming. Just because you're in charge, Eddie, doesn't mean to say Uh, you're going to win overnight, I promise you that. Uh, So we'll uh, hear from Eddie, uh, Nick Ahern at uh, around about 10.30. We'll stay on the Australian theme. Nick, of course, a very accomplished former Australian uh, golf professional. Talk to Nick about uh, the McElroy-Reed feud, if you can call it that, um, and what it's meant to Rory McElroy's golf as being the the lead spokesman, really, I suppose, for establishment um, over the top of uh, Greg Norman. Where does Greg Norman sit now? He's been quiet lately, actually, apart from the fact that they've announced the full schedule including a tournament in Adelaide, uh, which is in April. So we'll talk to uh, Nick Ahern about that. Uh, Later in the show, we'll talk to Darren Smith, the Hockey New Zealand High Performance Director, uh, as well. Uh, Darren, of course, is uh, casting his eye over where we're at at the moment. Our rankings uh, are slipping. I think it's fair to say in both men's and women's hockey, what are we looking to do to uh, redress the situation there? Plenty to uh, come uh, throughout the morning here on SENZ. Yeah, talk this morning, uh, remember, with uh, Annalie Longo about uh, the Women's Football World Cup, which is coming up, and I've just been running my finger across uh, stuff, headlines and things coming up uh, throughout the morning, and uh, as you do, to try and be current. uh, Saudi Arabia's National Tourism Board is reportedly set to be announced as a sponsor of the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, a move that has been criticised by Amnesty International UK. The Athletic first reported that visit Saudi would soon be unveiled, as a sponsor of the tournament to be hosted here in New Zealand and Australia in July and August, not that far away. Uh, FIFA has invited brands outside its long-term stable of partners such as Adidas and Coca-Cola to sponsor the Women's World Cup as it seeks to capitalise on the growth of the tournament, which will feature 32 teams, of course, for the first time. Uh, I think the whole world knows that the Saudis have a poor record with regard to human rights, been widely criticised for using the hosting and sponsoring of sports events and teams to try and enhance its reputation Uh, those efforts include of course the backing of uh, live golf a majority ownership of uh, newcastle united who are in action at the moment uh, and attempts to minimize and distract from wrongdoing through the engagement in sport women are actually only allowed to attend football matches in saudi arabia for the first time less than five years ago get that And the country only fielded a national women's football team for the first time in 2022 interesting Keep an eye on that one. Well, okay, so the devil you know, um, and that is Eddie Jones, the devil we know. Of course, uh, he's going now into his second stint as uh, the Wallaby coach, and he's hit the ground running. Apparently, he got all sorts of attention and accolades when he turned up to the Sydney Sevens at the weekend. Photos with uh, children that had never even heard of him. Uh, So uh, he's obviously cutting right through uh, everything that Dave Rennie did and said, look, uh, goodbye, Dave. I am here. I am your saviour. Look out, the All Blacks. So uh, this is uh, an interesting uh, scenario here. Uh, you can call in if you like, or you can text in on double eight double three phone phone numbers oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. But for the next uh, quarter of an hour, we thought we might just focus in on a press conference, to, uh, which Eddie Jones was uh, the central figure in, and uh, tell us um, what you think of the reaction to some of the things, Logan. Now uh, you put this together. Um, what are we going to begin with? What, what, what do you think? I mean, he's a man of many words and many promises. So what do you think?
1: He definitely is a man of many words. This press conference went for about 40, 45 minutes uh, yesterday. So as you said, I was burning the midnight oil and listening back to a lot of this. Uh, first up, I mean, the massive task ahead. How does the Wallabies, how does Eddie Jones win back Australia? I guess winning helps,
6: but how do you win back fan support, fan loyalty really
1: re-energize what what lies beneath
7: yeah well I think you know Australian rugby's gone through tough periods before this is not unusual you know, if you if you just look back at when the Ellis came through you know in 77 they played for Matchville High 77 they played for the Australian schoolboys went and won everything in the UK and that set off a uh, 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 a movement in Australian rugby, you know, and at that time, there was some time during that time Australia got beaten by Tonga at the cricket ground. And then the Ellis came through and they changed the way the game was played. You know, they changed that, that spirit of Australian rugby, which was a bit of a mismatch between New South Wales and Queensland, and they changed it back to an aggressive running style of rugby, and they changed the fortunes of Australian rugby that culminated in 84, the Grand Slam, Yeah, with the world's best coach in Alan Jones. You know, his only competitor is Clive Woodward, but they're having a good go at each other, so one of them will work out who's the greatest coach. Uh, And then, then, you know, ended up winning the World Cup in in 1991. Um, And then 1999, we won the World Cup. And we want to start that period again, because we're not short of talented players here. There's plenty of talented players. But talent doesn't win World Cups. What wins World Cups and wins the hearts of people are teams that play with that same spirit the Ellis had about being aggressive, playing with a certain panache. That doesn't mean you run with the ball all the time because kicking can be as as artistic as, as running the ball. But we want to play with a certain panache. We want to play tough. So at the end of games, when those tight games you win those tight games by one or two points, and that's the traditional Australian digger spirit. We want that in the team, and that's the opportunity for this group of players this year. You know, where can we take the team? And if we play like that, people will want to watch rugby again. You know, Mark was saying he doesn't want to come and watch us play until we play well. So we need Mark to be at the ground. So we better play well. Um, and that's, that's good to hear. We want, we want that pressure on ourselves. We want to perform. And that's the opportunity for this group of players coming forward. And, you know, I'm only a small part of it.
3: Eddie Jones, you're far from a very small part of it. That was an interesting uh, little out cue to that one. Uh, also interesting to note that he's very heavily focused in on the Aller brothers there. Now, the aller brothers were at the Sydney Sevens uh, at the weekend, apparently, and he sought them out personally. Um, obviously, he's got a very close relationship with them, but he does... Uh, uh, quote them quite often in that uh, little segment there. Uh, incidentally uh, text us uh, with your reaction to some of the stuff you're hearing from Eddie Jones double eight double three will read your text out. There's no problem with that on the temper bedpost text machine so don't have to have talent to win a World Cup. You have to um, <laughs> apparently you just have to play the way that uh, they played back in those days so uh, that's uh, interesting I suppose Ian Foster getting out all the available tapes he can from uh, the TVNZ days of uh, the Ella brothers and trying to be very careful about how they're going to try and play the game. If that's the spirit they want, uh, look, you've got to have talent, Eddie, you've got to have talent. You've got to have the cattle. Right. Let's uh, move on to, uh, the next side of things, Logan, which is what about creating a legacy.
1: Yeah. And I think the big thing here, I mean, talking about, you know, trying to win back Australia, you know, they talk about trying to put rugby back on the, uh, back pages, I mean, when I was working in Australian media, media, no one really gave a damn about rugby. It was all rugby league in New South Wales and it's all AFL in, in Victoria. Rugby union barely gets a mention. So, but it's, it's interesting to see this kind of romance of Eddie Jones coming back. So yeah, the big thing is, is what is his legacy going to be now that he's back with the Wallabies? The last two jobs you've been at, England, Japan, you've really left a legacy there in terms of setting their programs up for the future. I mean, it's a five year deal. You're gonna have a long time within this job. In an ideal world, what does that legacy look like for Rugby Australia and rugby heading forward?
7: Oh, well, it's only a year, mate. We have gotta win the World Cup. Our target's to win the World Cup. We win the World Cup, it changes things for, for rugby in Australia. So our target's to win the World Cup, then we'll worry about what happens after And to win the World Cup, yeah, we're gonna take this talented group of players are going to have to work together uh, to make a team that has a competitive edge over the rest of the world. And if you look at World Rugby at the moment, there's six teams not separated by, by a, a cigarette paper. Yeah, they're, they're so tight. And the team that learns the most over the next nine months will be the team that lifts the uh, William Webb Ellis Trophy, in, in stood the France on the 28th of October at about 11 p.m., and we're intending that to be us. Um, and then, then from that, kids that want to play rugby, you know, you saw out there, we went out to school, out the kids there, there were year seven kids. Most of them played soccer, you know, because they watched the soccer roos, They're excited about what the Tilders are going to do in the in the Women's World Cup, uh, and there was a small number of rugby. When we were at school here, when Gary and Mark and Glenn and Storsey were here, you know, it would have been the opposite. They were all rugby kids and a little bit, few kids that play play soccer. So we, we need to create role models and we need to create heroes for the young kids.
3: Mm, okay, the Aller brothers appearing again on that one, as was the word talented. So um, Eddie's being um, consistent, if nothing else, there. Um, Yeah, his his legacy is, uh, and I I agree with that. Don't look, uh, don't reach for the stars if you, uh, you know, you can't get the rocket ship fired up. And that means in the next 12 months, uh, of course, heading in, and he even knows the time that he hopes that his uh, side is uh, Michael Hoop or James Slipper or whoever he will appoint as captain, uh, will be holding up the William Webb Ellis trophy. Uh, It's 10-10 here. We'll continue on this Eddie Jones theme. Uh, Logan, um, is it the same Eddie Jones that we saw last time around?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, who's to say, Smithy? I mean, that was a big question that he got thrown at uh, in this press conference yesterday is, you know, he's been known to be a bit of a hard-ass on the players uh, in the past. Is he going to be like that this time around with the Wallabies?
6: Where is the
7: Eddie Jones of today compared to the Eddie Jones of the past?
1: Uh...
7: Look, for every team you coach, and and since since Australia in 2005 I've coached a few teams, you've got to just find the right spot for those players. What's the right spot to get them absolutely motivated? Because when we're talking about motivation, everyone in this room at the moment thinks they're concentrating at 100%. Everyone thinks that. And every player thinks they're playing at 100%. But what we know is that the human being has so much more in them. So what we're trying to find is that discretionary 5 to 10% where the ball goes over your head and you make a decision on whether you run hard or you don't run hard. Yeah, that's, that's what we're looking for. And so I don't know how I'm going to have to coach the Wallabies. Whether I'm going to have to be hard or I'm going to have to be supportive or I'm going to have to challenge or, or what big Street is until I get the players. What I do know is that our players don't lack talent. They don't lack talent. If you if you did a World 15 today on talent, you'd have a fair few Australian players in there. Yeah, you, know, you just got to look potentially at the back line Australia could have. Potentially. Yeah, you know, and you're thinking, you know, is there a better backline in the world? Now but that does again, you know, as I said, that doesn't win your test matches. What wins your test matches is that whether you're gonna run hard to do that inside clean, whether you're gonna go back over your head, whether you're gonna chase that kick. And so I need to find the right balance there. And it's not just the head coach, it's the assistant coaches. Because when you think of modern rugby now, and you think of how much work's done to prepare a team, the vast majority of the work is done by the assistant coaches. Now, I've got a role to play, so we've got to find the right level of coaching for those players, so they want to give a bit more. They want to give a bit more. Then when they give a bit more, they want to give a bit more again. You know, it's that old thing, you know, Rogers Bannister, breaks a four-minute mile. So when he breaks a four-minute mile, they say, at that time, the medical history says your body disintegrates. You can't run that fast. You can't run that fast. Then next year what happens? Six or seven people run the four-minute mile. The Kenyan breaks the two-hour marathon. Next day, the women marathon runner breaks the world record. So our players don't know how good they can be, and I've got I've got a role in, in trying to prod them, sometimes conjoling them, sometimes loving them, uh, whatever word you want to use to get a bit more out of them. Let's see where we can take them, mate.
3: See <laughs> take CFA, you can take them, mate. Uh, you got, I, I, I've got so much more interest now in Australian rugby. I've got to say, and I'm I'm not saying I was disinterested when Dave Rennie came on because Dave Rennie's such a good bugger. Um, you, you almost felt like uh, if they beat us well so be it um, let's move on but uh, I feel entirely different now <laughs> uh, with this with this rooster in charge um, and speaking on that subject uh, of course as well he was uh, quizzed on the Bledisloe Cup importance too
6: where does the Bledisloe Cup rank it's been what, 22 years or so um 21 years uh, is that priority number one? Because Australians often compare
7: themselves to those across the ditch. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty important. Just uh, when I was joking there with Googie, it reminded me of – because we're playing in Dunedin, aren't we? Uh, When we won it or we retained it, I think we won it, I can't remember. Won it? We won it 2021 in Dunedin. Uh, And Googie was part of that and the party we had afterwards was fantastic. and Steve Larkham, who's one of our super rugby uh, coaches now, was brilliant on that day, the way he uh, manipulated the, the space against the Kiwis. And and that's a big target for us, because we know as, as Australians, if we can take New Zealand, then we're in a good position to take the World Cup. So we'll certainly be prioritizing that. But again, it won't be the be all and end all, because the World Cup is, is a major tournament. But certainly, you know, we've got a home game against them in Melbourne, uh, where we ha- hope to have a sellout crowd, which will be a great occasion. And we know that uh, the last time the Australians played there, you know, the referee made a difficult decision at the end of the game, um, and is still recovering from it. Um, and Australia went close. And it's a game. It's a it's a ground, Melbourne cricket ground, where Australia traditionally play well. Um, so that you know, we we can get the lead in the series, then then go to Dunedin. Yeah, what a fabulous place to win back the Bledisloe Cup. So that's the picture in the head, mate.
1: Eddie Jones said 2021 there, Smithy. I think uh, he's getting his years and dates uh, a little bit confused. It's been 21, 20 years since they've won the Bledisloe Cup. He is thinking of Carisbrook in 2001. It's been a while, Smithy.
3: It has been a while. It has been a while. Uh, We've been getting texts in as well. Um, as we ask for, and keep them coming in. We'll read them out. Does he have any idea what he's talking about? He says he has a talented group. Also says talent doesn't win a World Cup. Therefore, Australia clearly don't win the World Cup. Nice one, Eddie. You drill bit. <laughs> you drill bit like that. That's from Brad. Uh, Jared, uh, love or hate him. He brings passion and experience to the Wallabies. Maybe Eddie is just the tonic for Australian rugby going forward. You might be right, Jared. Uh, you might be right. Certainly, uh, there are going to be headlines out of whatever happens in the reaction to that, keep them coming in, double eight, uh, double three. Uh, yes, um, interesting man. Of course, um, it uh, ten seventeen here. We'll continue along this uh, little Eddie Jones uh, line because it's <coughs> very interesting, actually. Um, and, and I guess um, he's been coaching against the Wallabies
1: too, Logan, which is interesting. Yeah, he has. He has. Japan and England. So, I mean, the question is, I mean, when you face up against your former team, you probably learn a thing or two about them. And the Wallabies haven't done well on the international stage for a while. So what did Eddie learn from that time? Obviously played against the Wallabies a lot with England in
6: recent years and had a very strong record there in recent times. Um, What what areas do you think you were able to expose that you now need to, to work on to improve the team going forward? Well, it was
7: better than strong, mate. Hey, come on! It was better than strong. It was fantastic. Uh, look, it's uh, what we did with England against Australia is really redundant now. It's it's what the Australian team does now, and you know. As we've discussed, it's been a, a tough period, and I think maybe COVID's been a difficult time for Australia and New Zealand rugby, that they were isolated for a long period, but we don't have any excuses now. So it's really important that, that this Australian team, and we saw on the last tour how many games they lost closely, that that defines you as a test team. It's how many of those close games you win. Like when you're playing really well and the opposition are playing poorly, you'll win that game. Um, but it's those games where you're both at about 85, you 90 know, percent, you get one or two decisions against you, and, and then the emotional state of the team comes through. Like every team starts a game excited, don't they? Every team starts a game excited. Like you don't see a team walking on the field with their head down, shoulders draped. They all start excited. But it's then the team that, that is able to cope with the disappointment in the game understand they're disappointed and then bounce back quickly and work out a way to get back on the front foot and maybe we need to do that a little bit better which is not a a uncommon thing with teams who haven't been winning so that emotional state work will need to do a bit on that 1019 here
3: on SENZ you're listening to the new Wallabies coach or the reappointed uh, Wallabies coach and Eddie Jones who is looking at his Uh, second stint uh, talking tough as you would imagine talking very positively as you would imagine uh, and our last clip is uh, on Eddie Jones and uh, his thoughts on uh, the all blacks
1: hi Eddie I'm Emma from TV3 New Zealand Um, how important is the rivalry between our two countries to you and what have you made of the all blacks performance in recent seasons
7: great to have a Kiwi Kiwi here isn't it just evens out the room a little bit. I'm outnumbered. <laughs> huh? No, nice to have you here. Sorry, what was your name again? Emma. Emma. It's sometimes a bit hard to understand Emma, with that New yeah. Zealand <laughs> accent. Emma, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think the Kiwis have done really well, really well. You know, they went through that tough period last year uh, where, yeah, if they lost that game in Johannesburg, there might've been a change of coach and they battled through, won the rugby championship, and then had a really good end of season tour, um, and they've gone through that bit of transitional period where they've had a, you know, a great, a great team from 2012 to 2016, you know, maybe coming off a little bit to 2017 to 2019, and now they've had to rejig the team. So I think they've done really well. You know, they've always got great talent coming through, and I'm, I'm sure we'll see that see that in Super Rugby. Uh, good coach, Ian Foster. Good support coaches in in Joe Smith and, you know, the young bloke uh, from the Crusaders. Um, Yeah, he does a good job there. So, yeah, I think they're in a pretty good spot. But we're coming after them, you know. We're going to be chasing them down the street. And that's a good thing. And we want that rivalry to be tough. And I think New Zealand want it
1: as well. So we'll make sure we're chasing them. They're coming after us, Smithy. And uh, he's not wrong. We do want... Australia to be stronger, for the All Blacks to be stronger. We need that competition, don't we? I mean, it's. but I do love the way he poked a little bit of fun at the New Zealand accent. So you know that rivalry is still there.
3: Oh, no, it's great. It's, it's fantastic, as I said. Uh, you know, It's going to be terrific in terms of the profile of uh, the Wallabies until they play. Uh, at the end of the day, they're still going to have to win under Eddie Jones or whoever. Uh, he made that point about um, we might have had a change of coach Um, with uh, that win in uh, Johannesburg uh, perhaps saving a a few people's bacon there I just wonder if the French referee had not um, uh, called time on Bernard Foley kicking the ball into touch whether Australia would have been having uh, a change of coach whether what that would have meant for the Wallabies to beat the All Blacks in Melbourne what that would have done for their season what that would have done for their thoughts on uh, their, their thoughts on Dave Rennie and whether we would have even been hearing from Eddie Jones in this part of the world at the moment Mm. Uh, it's a small thing, success and failure it's a very, very, very fine line particularly when you're at the top Uh, we'll read some more texts out very shortly Uh, thanks for your reaction to that segment of the show, it's 10.22 right, uh, some texts that have uh, really raced in here, all that Eddie's got uh, going for him is that the Wallabies have got an easy draw at the World Cup, should easily make the semis, Anthony said "Hi, Smithy, the Wallabies have uh, a heap of injuries to their premier players in the last two years if they get a few back they could be dangerous. Cheers. Uh, another text come in and said he sounded drunk. Uh, well, he might have been. He might have had a couple before there, a bit of Dutch courage for uh, Eddie. Um, Gig has come in and said he sounds like a car salesman, but really I think he's just trying to get people talking about rugby in Australia again and get people excited again. You can't blame him for trying. No, you can't. Uh, public relations is uh, a big part of the job. Uh, Jason says, hi, uh, Smithy. Underestimate Eddie at your prayer. I'll say it again. Uh, for the 1,000th time the All Blacks have never beaten an Eddie Jones coached team in a World Cup game. Thanks, Jason, for that information. Uh, Ken Smithy, I think Eddie and the Wallabies will be a real threat in the Bledisloe and the World Cup. He's done it with England, but he needs all his top players fit and raring to go. Cheers, Ken. I think, I think you're right. I think that's the point that we shouldn't underestimate if he can get a fully fit squad together, which Dave really didn't have very often, um, and get them all going in the right direction. Yeah, we know what the, the Australian does when uh, he's on the front foot, and that means he's very, very hard to stop. I uh, He won't uh, beating the Wallabies be so much more satisfying with Eddie in charge. I'm all for the Australian rugby team getting stronger. Think about the most memorable games against them. Yeah, you're right, Craig. Uh, it will be satisfying to beat them, but it will be, I think, very tough. It'll be very, very tough. So. Uh, we shall um, continue to monitor uh, Eddie Jones' progress and uh, have an air on any kind of press conferences that he might have coming up um, because uh, they're a load of fun and, of course, also a prompt reaction. That is uh, coming up to 10.30 here on SENZ. After the news here with Araha, we'll hear from Nick Hearn, of course, a very accomplished uh, former Australian PGA pro, world pro, actually, not just uh, Australian PGA. was all around the joint. Uh, and, of course, um, he has got his own show on SEN starting up again shortly. Well, Rory McIlroy is back in the headlines for being exceptional on the golf course yet again, putting all the noise behind him, and uh, that is rival Patrick Reed created with a tee toss. The Irishman sunk a mid-range putt for Birdie to defeat Reed by one shot and avoid a playoff at the Dubai Desert Classic. It's just the kind of thrilling excitement golf needs right now as we enter into a new calendar year, and it's uh, my pleasure to welcome... Uh, Back to our show, former Australian PGA pro Nick O'Hearn, of course vastly experienced uh, all around the world. Uh, Nick, it's always a pleasure to have you on uh, this early in the year. Thank you for joining us.
8: Uh, No problem, Smithy. It's great to uh, chat again.
3: Well, it's been an interesting uh, start to the year in terms of uh, the Dubai Desert Classic. We had uh, a little bit of feudal stuff, um, which was obviously going to be well and truly encapsulated by the media But at the end of the day, uh, those two uh, combatants ended up being combatants with club in hand, and it was pretty special.
8: (laughs) It certainly was. Yeah, it wasn't tees in hand. It would have been interesting, um, you know, with what happened earlier in the week with the whole tee thing on the range. And Rory, not uh, you know, not really knowing, I guess Patrick was there. But uh, if they'd have gone to a playoff instead of tossing a coin, I think they should have tossed a tee. That would have been fun to watch. Um, but, <laughs> a, yeah, uh, but but the finish was just incredible. I mean, um, you know, Patrick Reed. It's funny. He he seems to thrive when people are against him the most. And and you could sort of tell, obviously, you know, Rory is the man. He's the alpha dog over there on the European tour. And and um and yeah everyone wanted him to win but reed just kept coming at him and and took the lead briefly for a bit and then the finish was just incredible um you know i, I, I did watch the last few holes you know on that 17th which earlier well the previous day with reed uh, hitting the ball up the tree that's that's a whole other story you know in, in its own but uh the way rory finished the event of holding that putt on the last getting up and down with wedge and I was thankful he didn't go for the green in two because that, that lie he had in the rough had water written all over it and he would have basically just handed the tournament to Reed. So it was, uh, it was a gutsy decision and for him to get up and down and, and hold that putt when it mattered the most, I think he's going to carry that forward and it's going to be a massive year for him.
3: Which uh, tends to suggest that, you know, even with the distraction of what's going on off the field, off the, off the, off the practice range, off, off the actual course itself, um, it tends to suggest he's still got his ducks in a row mentally when it comes to the crunch, which is a great sign.
8: Yeah, exactly. He, You know, it's one of those scenarios where he has some history with Reed. You know, in the Ryder Cup, they had an epic match a few years back where Reed got the better of him. Um, and in those situations, I think because it is live golf, you know, he's, he's that representative for them. And you see there was a few players up there. I think Poulter was up there, Richard Bland as well. So they, you know, if, if, if a live player won that golf tournament, they all would have been, you know, just uh, shouting from the rooftops, obviously. So it almost felt for Rory as though he was, he had to carry the mantle of the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and all the other tours that are trying to fend live golf off, I guess you could say. And and for him to come through in the clutch like that, just, just showed his metal and his steel. And um, I'm hoping he can carry it through to the majors because it would be fun to watch him win another major or two.
3: Oh, look, he's got to be, um, he'll be the bookies' favourites, you know that, going into the first of them, uh, without any doubt at all. Hey, Nick, uh, also a great start to the year on the traditional tour for uh, for John Rahm. Brilliant start. Yeah,
8: he, he's been incredible. He won, uh, he had one stage, well, up until um, last week at Torrey Pines, uh, you know, he was coming second going into the final round. He'd won four of the previous six events he played and it was almost a case of, well, I guess he's going to win another one. And when he didn't, he kind of fell away. You thought, wow, that was a bit of a surprise. But it just goes to show how hard it is to maintain, you know, that sort of level and that sort of form uh, for a long period of time. But he obviously has over the last uh, several events. But um, he's uh, he's a force to be reckoned with. He, he wants that number one ranking. He sort of spoke about, you know, what, what, what does he have to do to get that ranking? He's won four of the last six and he's still not up there. Obviously, uh, Rory's got that, that title at the moment, but it was, it was a great event at Torrey. Max Homer played some incredible golf, and, and there was drama all over the shop with you know, the, the, the leader, Sam Ryder, wearing, I guess, what you could best describe as tracksuit pants or something like that with joggers. And there's, a, there's a lot of stories going on in golf at the moment. It's fascinating.
3: Well, Max Homer's one of them, and, of course, when you have defections, uh, a way to live golf, and we're talking some very, very high-profile players, you need the next um, level to come through. Uh, Max Homer is, uh, I, I think, is probably even uh, better than that. I mean, his record too is is starting to be fashioned in a really classy way.
8: Oh, it is. Yeah, that's his uh, sixth PJ Tour win, and I think the fourth in California. So I, I heard them call him the King of Cali. So, and and he's a great personality off the course. If you get the chance, follow him on Twitter because some of the comments and. A lot of the the things he posts are, are very funny and and quite uh, you know sarcastic, which is sometimes a little unusual for Americans. But he's one of those mm. uh, persons that has that gene, and um, his golf swing is just absolutely pure. And and it's kind of one of those one of those uh, swings where you go, well, how does this guy ever play bad? So um, you know, very quiet, goes about his business on the golf course. But the the proof is in the pudding, and his his next step is really to uh, is to contend and and probably win a major.
3: Oh, one of the good things from uh, Patrick's point of view is we've been one of the uh, talking points and the stumbling blocks for Live Golfers is the accumulation of ranking points. Uh, of course, Rory picking up the bulk of them uh, in Dubai, but for Patrick Reed and for Live Golf, that has been one of the issues.
8: It certainly has, yeah. They, they obviously haven't been awarded ranking points in their tournaments the reason they are playing there on the european tour is they had that um you know stay i guess it was called where they were allowed to continue playing european events now that court case is coming up very shortly i believe and and that will that will determine what a lot of the live players are going to do because i saw their schedule that uh, greg norman put out i think there's 14 events it is spread out right across the year and there is quite a bit of Break between some of the events. You know, there's a month off on in some cases, so they'll be looking for places to play, even though they said they actually want to play less. But you know, they're, they're still looking to, for places to play because they need those world ranking points. And and if uh, Europe can offer that for them, well, that would be a huge coup for the for live golf. So that that course case is fairly important. The interesting part about that is, I think um, you know, for the European Tour or DP World Tour as it's called now, if they they almost they almost want to lose the court case in a way because then they're going to be getting all these other star players coming to play their tour. You know, the purses will be will be pumped up, I'm sure, from some uh, from some uh, outside backing, and uh, and it will really help promote their tour. But it's a uh, it's a fascinating thing right now, and and if if they don't get the world ranking points, then you'll see a lot of those players playing live that they won't be playing majors anymore. And I mean, um, it's just one of those things that they knew going in, and they've been well compensated for it, obviously.
3: They have been they made the decision. they know that. um I was just thinking to myself, uh, Patrick Reed, I think uh, made around about nine hundred and ninety thousand dollars for a second place in Dubai, but it's almost like change pocket stuff for him
8: these days. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I could only imagine you know what he signed for. it would have been um well I could I'd hate to think maybe fifty or sixty million, something like that, maybe more, maybe less. So when they win a million dollars in these sort of events, it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, but he, obviously he doesn't play for the money anymore. He's he's playing for the world ranking points there and then to keep his ranking high enough so he can continue to play majors, obviously as a past Masters champion. He will be playing that one uh, coming up shortly. And um, the others, he's still in the top 50, I believe. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to have a look at that. Actually, he might not be. So um, whether he gets to play any of the other majors, uh, we'll, we'll see.
3: Of course, the, you know, the, the original... Uh, flagship, I guess, in terms of players for of golf was Phil Mickelson. Uh, had a press conference uh, over the weekend, come out saying he's fine with never playing for the Ryder Cup or being on the PGA Tour again, but he believes um, he can still win majors. Uh, you know, we we laughed at him two or three years ago, and he turned around and won one. But I'm not sure now.
8: No, I think uh, I think that side of his career is probably over, unless you know he he he's obviously working as hard as he possibly can. Maybe that that we don't see, but. Uh, he's in a way you know whenever i watch him in an interview now he's become a bit of a shell of his former self i mean there's been a lot of obviously um you know talk in the press about what he's done and and, and everything there and, and the controversy he's he's caused and you know maybe he regrets his decision of what has happened he's, his legacy is, is certainly tarnished uh, through all this but um You know he'll he'll continue to be Phil and and say some things that people won't agree with and uh, he he did look pretty gaunt the other day when I saw him so maybe the maybe the stress has taken its toll.
3: Uh, Nick, uh, you mentioned uh, the tournaments uh, worldwide on uh, Greg Norman's new schedule, uh, one of which um, uh, you guys host in Adelaide um, on the 21st to the 23rd of April, which is not that far away. To be perfectly fair of you, and Jen, did we heard of any interest uh, around the, the joint for this?
8: uh to be honest i haven't no uh you know we all know it's coming um as far as we you know cam smith spoke about it uh i guess at the end of the last year saying you know there was going to be an event and and obviously uh they're in adelaide wade ormsby is an adelaide boy so he'll be looking forward to uh to coming back and playing there in front of his home crowd we've been told all the tickets have sold out so there obviously is some interest but uh, i've never kind of believed what what Libkoff has said at certain points, obviously. So, um, I, I, think for Australian fans, it'll be great because, you know, you're going to get to see, uh, some of the best players in the world for, well, formerly best players in the world, whether they are now is, is another question, but we're still going to have Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, uh, Wade, obviously Matt Jones in the Aussie contingent. Um, I assume Jed Morgan's going to be playing as well. Um, and then when you have the likes of, you know, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Louis Oosthuizen, it's, uh, it's just it's going to be fun to, for for the golfers there, for the crowds there to, you know, watch those players again in in full flight because um, uh, it's probably the only opportunity every year that they will will get that. So in that sense, it's a great thing for for golf here to to really get the buzz going for the youngsters.
3: You when you win your name names like that too, Nick. Uh, you, you can understand why it would possibly be a sellout because uh, that mm. kind of field, even with all the golfers over the years that uh, Australian tournaments have been able to attract. Uh, that uh, would be the most high quality field of golfers I would imagine ever seen on Australian soil, regardless of the way you feel about the competitions.
8: Yeah, true. Well, it, it'd be close to it'd be up there. I mean, in the halcyon days of, you know, when Greg was playing here in the 80s and 90s and we used to have Faldo and Monty and, and, and Langer and those players come down to play. Uh, Obviously, that was some incredible, um, incredible fields as well. You know, with the President's Cups we've had with Tiger coming down, that 98-1, and Mm then also, you know, the recent one we had as well. They're probably the best fields we've ever had down here. This will be a bit of a mix of that, I guess you could say, but with obviously a lot of the homegrown talent thrown in. And and funnily enough, there'll be quite a number of names that people will have never heard of, and, and maybe they'll start following them in their career. There's probably... 10 or 12 players on that live roster that I actually don't know myself and I follow the golf pretty closely so it's yeah. uh, it's certainly a mixed bag and, you, and you're going to have that you know that top 12 to 15 players that everyone does know and uh, and they'll be fascinating to see what their games like and how they're still playing which is great
3: will you be uh, showing any interest in the Netflix series full swing
8: yeah I'm going to watch that actually it'll be uh be, be, it'll be fascinating I mean it's not done by the PGA tour. So it's going to be that, um, you know, that non-biased view, I, I guess you could say in some cases, and obviously the live players is not done by them. So it's, it's an outside source that filmed everything. And and what I've heard, it was, it started before live golf and it sort of shows everything going through as, as to the, the beginnings of that. I have a feeling it may not paint them in the best light for, for what happened in certain instances, but, um, yeah, it'll be great viewing and, And I've started watching the tennis one, which has been, um, you know, quite interesting as well. Uh, Obviously, you know, the drive to survive the Formula One one was great. Netflix seemed to do it really well. So uh, hopefully this golf one uh, lives up to all the expectations.
3: Well, speaking of stars, of course, um, that uh, brings to mind uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week. Um, it's an interesting one where uh, the pros uh, share the limelight with a number of uh, celebrities uh, getting into the business end of the tournament anyway and Nick, um, over the years you would have played in, in many of these type tournaments um, well, mm. can you tell us about it, any of the celebrities that you played alongside
8: oh yeah well I, I used to play the the European version you know the dunhill links uh, over there on the European tour which was a lot of fun probably played with Morse. S- celebrities there that the players i played with at pebble were more business people things like that but it was always fun to go to the parties and you know meet people like uh, kelly slater and clint eastwood and chat with those guys um there was there was an interesting story one year at pebble beach where i played a practice round with a fella um who looked and swung it like he was on tour i mean he had that ricky fowler type outfit and he swang it, it had a great golf swing on him and we played a practice round and i walked down the first hole with him i said oh uh, you know uh, how long have you been playing on tour he says oh no no i'm i'm a musician and i said oh okay that's that's interesting um uh you know do, would i know of any of your songs and he said oh well i've got the number one song in the country at the moment <laughs> i didn't actually know who he was he was a country singer by the name of um uh what was his name again we see i can't even remember it now it's like josh allen or someone like that but it was quite comical <laughs> at the time but uh I said i'm so sorry i'm not a country guy but anyway um that, that was a lot of fun and i ended up playing with one of the characters from uh, you yeah, know, seinfeld many years ago mr peterman uh, john O'Hurley. he was quite a he was quite a laugh and uh yeah played with uh, some cricketers over my time as well steve war at the dunhill links and things like that Ian both them so uh, it was a lot of fun those prime events i really enjoyed them the only issue i found with them especially the pebble beach one is they took so long. They're about six-hour rounds because uh, yeah, a lot of people wanted autographs so the, the amateurs mm-hmm. would always be off signing and you, you wanted to move on.
3: <laughs> yeah, I suppose at times it would be frustrating, but uh, that's uh, part and parcel of the trade and of course sponsorship uh, and those events is, is crucial to um, the, those tournaments. Uh, you mentioned the dunhill there which reminded me of course that our very own Ryan Fox won it uh, towards the end of last year. We're hoping for big things from Ryan Fox. He uh, mm. played with a bit of a stomach virus at the weekend in the final round, which wouldn't have helped, but um, he's got his entry to uh, the Masters. He received that, so um, uh, he, he's uh, looking for a big year, and we're kind of hoping for big things too.
8: Yeah, no, his he's, uh, year last year was was incredible and was was rewarded. I think he received that uh, the, the Seve Ballesteros Award as well just recently, I saw, which was fantastic for him. I mean... Seve's so obviously an icon of the game but Ryan had an amazing year with the, the wins and he had a lot of several close run-ins as well and um, yeah I saw he posted the Masters invitation uh, on social media when you get your first one it's always fun and uh, and uh, you know I think for him importantly he, he needs to get over there early before that that week and have a really good look at the golf course because with his length and the way he plays his style of play I think he could do really well around there and and it'd be great to see him contending in majors this year as well. He's he's a, certainly a star at the moment.
3: Nick O'Hearn, always great to catch up with you. Uh, we look forward to the year of golf. Hopefully we can catch up with you as it progresses, for, particularly around about uh, April. I'd love to hear what's uh, going on around uh, Adelaide at that time uh, firsthand. Uh, Nick, always uh, fantastic. It's a privilege to talk to you every time. Thank you very much.
8: Uh, no problem, Smiley. All right, look forward to next time. Cheers.
3: Yeah, cheers. Uh, Nick O'Hearn uh, there, of course. Uh, fantastic uh, Australian golfer in his own right. These days uh, working more in the media, casting his eye over all the tours uh, around the world, uh, which he was uh, instrumental on on many of them himself. It's 10.48 here on SENZ. Just time to catch up with uh, Pip Morris before uh, our 11 o'clock news. Pip, um, Bar- Greyhounds, Palmerston North today. Pretty quiet on the sports front, though.
4: Good morning to you, Smothers. So Roger and I've come up with the same best bet at Palmerston North for so power Star in race number one, two dollars and seventy cents. So Size of the distance, trip, really liking him. And you are just quickly on the sports, the best bets as far as the basketball goes today: three point three thousand's been put on the Clippers head-to-head at one sixty-three, and one point two k on total points over two ten point five at a dollar eighty-five. And don't forget, so if the teams up by twelve at half-time, will pay you out T O B as a winner if you are leading there. So a nice incentive to have a look at the basketball odds today,
5: Smithy. Thanks
3: very much, Pip. Uh, very quick this morning. Thank you very much for that. Um, after the break, we shall be talking hockey. Hockey, yep, yeah, with uh, Darren Smith. Can't wait to act shortly. It is 11.03 and uh, we're going to talk uh, hockey now with both our men's and women's blackstick sides uh, in action over recent times. The men got as far as the World Cup quarterfinals in India, while our women's side took on Spain and uh, Tauranga losing 2-1. Now the game uh, rained out, unfortunately. Darren Smith is a man who's been around the game as both a player, coach and currently the high performance director at Hockey New Zealand. And he joins us now. Uh, good morning, Darren. Thank you for your time.
9: Good Smithy. Good to
3: good to talk to you. Okay, uh, let's uh, focus on uh, on the on the men. I think to start with, because uh, their run at the World Cup was uh, pretty handy, uh, including knocking out the hosts in a penalty shootout. What were your feelings then?
9: Oh, I mean, it was a it was a fantastic World Cup to follow. Um, tough pull, so we were in with Chile, Malaysia, and, and uh, the Netherlands. Um, you know, we lost to the Netherlands in the end. Uh, we actually we actually lost a Malaysia in a, in a pretty tightly contested uh, contest. So Both teams have got quality to them and, and Malaysia's got that one. And then we beat Chile, so it meant we crossed over with, with uh, India in a knockout match and, and the guys played really well in um, front of a, a big home crowd in, in Bhubaneswar and, and, um, and I thought we handled it well and uh, took our chances, defended particularly well and, and, uh, and were always a threat with our pace and ability going forward. So knocking India out in India was, was pretty fantastic and and then against Belgium we had our moments as well and, and they they come with a heck of a lot of quality in that quarterfinal um, so we couldn't quite get past them but there were moments where we where we um, played well and, and this is a young group as well so it was good to good to see um, some some nice performances.
3: So how de- how developmental is it uh, shall I say for want of a better word at the moment within this group? you mentioned young. Um, you know, um, and an experience. Uh, so what's it going to take to, to uh, start uh, turning those results around and, and getting um, bigger scalps on a more regular basis?
9: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, I reckon. I, I, I think we're, we're sitting amongst uh, a few sports where you, you feel like you're being reborn a bit uh, out of COVID. Like even preparing into that Tokyo Olympic Games, it was done in isolation by ourselves. With a lack of international uh, contact, and, and, and that didn't really change for the group until we got to May last year, and then all of a sudden we had the ability to travel, but that travel came with huge expense, um, the cost of air the cost of accommodation, just actually getting out of the country to be able to play internationally just hit you uh, from a bank balance perspective. So it's it, it's been a bit of a grind over over 2022 into preparing for this uh, World Cup, and what you've also seen is just a shift in in uh, the the playing personnel there, and, and particularly in the midfield. The was experienced in Tokyo that's been turned over. You've got you know guys like Hayden Phillips and Sean Finlay and Hayden Sirakaya uh, running that midfield with Joey Morrison making his debut. So you know that that's a, a a, a different looking uh, team to what it was a year or so back. And, you know, what you want now is for that talent that's coming through and it's supported by some experienced guys. I mean, Simon Child was at the World Cup um, playing well, and, you know, Blair Tarrant and Kane Russell and Nick Woods, and they're vastly experienced. You just want for that team to start to gel and, and get consistent. And once you have that consistency, you're, you're a bit tougher to beat and, and, uh, and, and things start to. Slow uh, your away a bit more,
3: Darren. How much uh, hockey are our, our men, in particular, playing uh, away from the international scene?
9: Well, not, not too bad, um, and, and it's an area that we're we're looking at um, hard from a, a, um, a d- elite domestic perspective, just to make sure that the players that are sitting just beneath the black sticks, but also the black sticks players, are able to get. Really good level domestic competition, so we're looking at that um, hard and and, and how we, we go about that. We've got a, quite a number of the men and the women playing professionally in Europe, um, so that's a extremely high level when they get to live and breathe hockey. And then in between those European um, windows, so you know they'll play professionally in Europe for five months. In between that, that's where the largest amount of content about of Black sticks is. You know that's where we play most of our test matches or when we have most of our, our contact days so for a black stick they're, they're getting a high amount of hockey most of the time throughout the year and then what we have to make sure is that the junior black sticks or the pathway and the elite domestic game is an area that we can just get a bit better um, so that we're um, getting that pathway uh, fed with good hockey as well
3: It's interesting actually because You know, with a lot of sports, you you look at our youth or those players who are perhaps at university-level age uh, head to America, um, of course, and and go through the NCAA college system there. Are there any like pathways uh, for hockey?
9: Mm. So you can can go to America for female hockey. So uh, field hockey's got scholarship opportunities in America. Um, so, some of our kiwi athletes head up there you know what what we what we try and do is you know as you as you come towards the inter school and come out of secondary school uh we we try and have our our junior black sticks and and those national uh programs humming and and have uh plenty of opportunity for a, a broad amount of players for so not getting too specific in our selection initially in that junior black six space and and you're talking about 17, 18, 19-year-olds that are starting to think about whether they want to be a top hockey player. You know, once they once they start to look into the black sticks or they get the opportunities with the black sticks, that's when the European um, contracts start to be an option for them, and some of them will take up that. But there's also some people that want to study and and, um, and finish their tertiary education and remain in New Zealand. And, and for both pathways, we want to be able to, facilitate them. You know, So if you want to play professionally in Europe and be out there, we want to be able to make sure that you're monitored and looked after and you're part of the Black Sticks. And if you're here in New Zealand, we want to make sure that you're getting top competition and be able to prepare to play well for the Black Sticks. So there are those opportunities, some of the overseas, and it's just the right ones. And, and, and whether you go there or whether you base yourself here.
3: Right. Okay. Let's uh, look at um, the Blacksticks as such. Right uh, after the World Cup, ranking um, is is now tenth. Uh, next goal, of course, uh, Olympic qualification. Tell us about the pathway looking towards that from here on in.
9: So both both programs are the same. So they they uh, go into an Oceania Cup against a tough opponent. So the Kookaburras and the Oggy Roos are the the national teams in Australia. So we'll play them here in New Zealand in August and that'll be when it takes all. So last time that happened, it was in 2019 for the Tokyo Olympics and the, the Kookaburras, the men for Australia, beat us and, and for the women, uh, the Black Sticks, stick, the Hockey Roos. So, you know, we'll match up in August. If, if we qualify, great, we're in. So content Qualifier get to go to Paris. If, if we don't get that, then there's going to be two eight-nation tournaments uh, that will take place in January 2024. The top three from each of those tournaments will pick up the remaining six spots in the Olympic Games. So 12-team competition, five continental qualifiers, one host, and then you've got the six spots from the qualifying tournaments. We we will bid to try and host uh, one of those uh, qualifying tournaments. So if it is required, then it would be great to have it here uh, in summer uh, in, in New Zealand, if we don't require it, then, then we're there,
3: and that's fantastic as well. Okay, look, uh, you, uh, Darren, you took uh, the the women's uh, black sticks to the Commonwealth Games last year as the uh, interim uh, head coach. Uh, what did you learn about our our depth there and our future when you were hands on?
9: Well, I mean, I was I was really impressed with that group. You know, I took it took it up pretty late, and and uh, got the opportunity to. Uh, Coached them in that uh, Trans-Tasman series and in, in April, and uh, and I was impressed with the group that were there, and and then I thought we were reasonably um, successful through the two tournaments. Although, you know, when you get to the come-off Games, you get to those semifinals in third and third quarterfinals. So you you want to have a medal, and and you know we finished fourth, which you know for 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 us is is a bit disappointing. Even though I actually thought we we played. Uh, some good hockey and and um, you know what was happening on the pitch uh, wasn't uh, um, disappointing. Not getting a medal is so yeah, I was really pleased with with what came through that group. There was a, a decent sort of turnover from Tokyo with players, so, so some of our very best uh, weren't playing in that in that group. They would either retired or, or weren't available, and so we were able to bring through some players and they actually performed pretty well. And then we've seen that continue on with the Spanish series so you know we've been lucky enough that they've travelled down here and um, had the one test but also played a uh, uh, three other warm-up matches against our national squad as well and so it's given an opportunity for uh, quite a few players to play against Spain and, and um, yeah so I, I think the women's is in pretty good health and uh, came through the Commonwealth Games with plenty of talent and a, a reasonable performance and, and then Watching them against uh, Spain in, in, uh, in January, and then onto the Pro League, um, you know, in February, it, it, it's in it's in pretty good health.
3: Yeah, they play yeah, uh, they play the United States and China later this month in Wellington, which is an exciting opportunity.
9: Yeah, so uh, yeah, Phil Burrows has started upwards with, with the the team, and um, the rest of the staff are consistent from twenty twenty two and the. The playing group's pretty consistent from 2022, so had a good chance against Spain for Phil to get his feet under the desk and you know just just start to get to know the staff and the players and and uh, and get his hands hands on on um, the tactics and, and how they're going to play and yeah, then we get another good battery of matches uh, over the last two weeks of, of February in Wellington against China and USA, so quality opponents and some good hockey for Phil to start to get things uh, all prepped up for qualifications.
3: I like um, the, the uh, term high performance, and you see it across um, most sports, particularly in New Zealand these days, cricket, rugby, etc. people dealing with, with the elite. How do you mention uh, or how do you measure your KPIs uh, in terms of that? Is it, is it by the achievement from a team point of view? Uh, Darren, or, or is it more on what you tend to suggest is, is growing beneath?
9: Yeah, I mean, I, the, the easiest way to, uh, I guess, measure yourself is, is what you're doing on the pitch. So how much attacking position do you have? How many opportunities? How many penalty corners? What's your penalty corner execution? How do you defend? How do you defend the circle? All that stuff is actually uh, easy to measure, and we measure that every test. You know, so we can give players quality feedback and we can look at our tactics and look where we're struggling and look, and look where we were going well. So we, we'll do that uh, constantly. The stuff that I reckon with a high-performance environment, which is a bit more difficult to measure or try and help with, is, is just creating that environment where people can get good at hockey, so play bloody good hockey, but also they have that, I guess, balance in their life so they're able to start getting ready for their career or they're able to have quality relationships or they're able to actually feel you know, good off the pitch and, and that's an area which I think is a bit more difficult to measure but it's actually critically important uh, I mean we, we've made a massive shift in what we're doing with our high performance environment and, and, and we want our players to play well and so do they and they want to internationally play really well uh, and particularly at pinnacle events but we also are mindful that you know, whether centralising our 25 men and 25 women into Auckland and, and training them the way they were uh, was the right thing to do. And, and that's been a, a big shift in the last 12 months where we have decentralised the programme. Um, but what we've tried to do is, is I guess, uh, um, increase the, the communication and the feedback and the monitoring and, and, um, and try and have our players, so they're really well supported to play good hockey... But they also have that control over their lives, and they're able to make some decisions uh, rather than, I guess, the decision being taken out of their hands. Which is, you're a black stick, you're up to, you're up to Auckland, and, and here's your training program. So it's a, I reckon it's a, it's an interesting one, for them, and um, one we're really grappling with and trying our hardest to uh, put in place, uh, where, you know, we're able to, I guess. Measure our environment a little bit more, and, and um and marry that up with you know the the thing that's the bit easier, which is measuring hockey and whether you're doing the outputs in hockey to win win matches. So um, yeah, it's a long winded answer, I reckon, mate. Like it's it's uh yeah, I'm finding I'm, I'm a, a, a lot of my time is just is just spent at the moment, just trying to grapple with that and just try and set the environment for the future.
3: Very challenging indeed. Uh, quite clearly, though, uh, that Black Sticks brand is uh, etched within you, mate, um, with a proud history of it. Um, <clears throat> by and large, um, you know, we look at hockey and we think uh, Commonwealth Games, Olympic cycles, which are two-year cycles, two-year cycles, etc. like that. Yeah, how hard is it uh, in those in-between times to uh, to try and attract uh, people, sponsorship, etc., to the sport?
9: Yeah, I mean, I reckon... Look, you're working bloody hard, and and I do. I think you know there's there's a, a fair few sports that are resetting after COVID, and trying to you know just just uh, um, figure out what the path is for. And um and we're no different. Um you know like the Commonwealth Games, fantastic tournament, uh, and, and we've got a rich history and performance in the Commonwealth Games and. And the Olympic Games, you know, we, we, we've qualified for the Olymp- every Olympic since uh, 2004. That's both teams, which is fantastic. And, and um, you know, we've got two pinnacle events there, co Games games, Olympic Games, every two years, where you can really aim up and have a crack at. The Pro League has helped us, you know, so the Pro League gives um, content to us to be able to attract, you know, fans and, and also sponsors. The other one, in which I think is a great event, is the World Cup. Um, you know the men's just completed it, and, and the woman completed it in uh, late June, early July uh, last year. So it's another pinnacle event for, for hockey. You know, so hockey, hockey's it's full of health in terms of what's offered internationally, and in, and in, and um, playing the game. And then we we just have to continue to to work hard to just bring it bring it to the forefront for people to watch, and also to uh, attract the financial dollar just to support our programs and, and make sure that our, our athletes are able to keep, keep uh, their, their mind on hockey um, and, and, and being able to push forward into the future.
3: Interesting uh, chatting to you, Darren. I really appreciate your time. I know the challenges uh, uh, that involved are quite extensive at times, but uh, exciting with uh, a world uh, an Olympic qualifying year coming up. So uh, we look forward to the progress and the results uh, beginning, of course, um, Uh, of course, with that series in Wellington coming up for the Black Sticks woman. Exciting. Uh, Hey, thanks very much for enlightening us uh, on uh, the hockey scene in general. It's been great. Thank you.
9: Awesome. Thanks, Smithy.
3: Cheers, man. Look after yourself. Go well. Darren Smith there, the boss of uh, High Performance for uh, Hockey New Zealand, uh, the director there. Uh, Many, many challenges, of course, uh, the Halcyon days, the Olympic gold medal days, etc., and everyone jumps on the bandwagon there. It's that work in between times. Uh, that he's responsible for for making sure um, our performance levels, our excellence levels uh, stay constant and improve. So we've got to get those rankings up throughout the year. That's one of those number one goals. 11.21 here on SENZ. When we come back, I think we might uh, visit the sports desk with uh, maybe a little bit of basketball. Yeah, 11.26, uh, time we we'll pop across, I think, to the, the sports desk and uh, we'll join up, uh, of course, with uh, Logan Swinkles who runs the cutter there. Um, and uh, I think, what, are we looking at a bit of uh, basketball?
1: Yeah, start with a little basketball. Surprise, surprise, it is me running the uh, sports desk after all. Uh, I mentioned a couple of days ago about the NBL Awards and that the breakers do feature quite heavily uh, on the basketball show this week. Of course, Aussie great NBL great Shane Heal had a few thoughts on the breakers and the way they've been playing under Mody Mayor.
2: Most emotional assistant coach we've ever seen. He just lives and breathes it. He's one of the most
1: emotional head coaches we've ever seen. No, 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 I'm saying
2: then he took that as an assistant coach (laughs) to a head coach and running the sidelines, but you see he lives and breathes Mm. the game. So passionate about what he does. The success they've had and I tell you, they are the biggest challenge for the Sydney Kings. Now, the Sydney Kings are still title favourites, but mm-hmm. he has done a tremendous job. They have got a very, very good team, and uh, well done to him. You love seeing those sort of videos.
1: Yeah, you do love to see it. Of course, he is talking about the emotion uh, scene behind the scenes there, Smithy, At Spark Arena after uh, the Breakers won their last match, and he sort of just took a little quiet moment for himself. Uh, following on from that, they had, uh, Breakers coach Mourinho May- Mayor has been nominated uh, as one of the Coach of the Year candidates, along with the Sydney Kings and the Cairns Taipans. So uh, Shane Hill brought the question to another NBL great, Derek Rucker. Who is his pick?
6: I'm going with Cairns Taipans coach Adam Ford. I think he has the lowest budget. His team is right up there. He's done an outstanding job. Even with Teanu Pinder being out for a large... Portion of this second half of the season. But, however, Shane, I'm not going to argue with you if you happen to go for Kings head coach Chase Buford. Who's your pick?
2: Well, this is the only category that I'm going to sit on the fence because I could make an argument for all three. Yeah. I really could. I mean, when you talk about Ford, I mean, he was run out of Sydney and blamed for everything. He's got this small budget. And then he comes up with this. He's been incredible. He really has. And uh, But Chase Buford's been amazing for two years. Sits on top of the table. Mm. And we love what New Zealand are doing as well. So, nah, sitting on the fence. I know you've never heard it. but No, it. Right here? No.
1: Nah. Come on. Hammer on the fence, Smitty. I think we need to convince him that uh, Mote Amayor is the most deserving of coach of the year. Mm. When you turn around a club from the bottom of the table to potentially finishing second, does it really get much better than that? Potentially winning. If they get to, to the
3: next step, they get to the playoffs. Who knows? I mean... But they can't. They have to judge it on this this part of the season, of course. So yeah, I, I totally I totally agree with you. Um, I, I would find it very hard to pick between uh, any of the three of them. Mauri and mao for what he brings to basketball and what he brings in terms of the emotion, the passion, etc. And that was highlighted in the first clip. I, I think uh, he's well worth his salt. He's one of the characters of basketball that make it as special as it is, Logan. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of from the sports my side of the sports desk. A couple of footy updates for you, if you like. Um, And Newcastle United did go on to beat Southampton 2-1, which means yesterday's multi got up. It also means they're through uh, in the Carabao Cup. Um, But also in the FA Cup, we've been talking about that in the last couple of days. Uh, Blackburn Rovers away from home beat Birmingham City in extra time to advance to the next round of uh, the FA Cup. So those are the big results out of British football this morning.
1: I have a little bit of news coming out of English football for you too as well, Smithy. Uh, Socceroos hero Harry Suter has sold for $26 million to Leicester City. He becomes the latest Socceroos star to join the EPL after a dramatic de- uh, deadline day deal was struck earlier this morning. He's making the move to Leicester City after the former champions agreed to a transfer fee of $27 million plus... Another £5 million in add-ons. That £27 million is in Australia and it's £15 million, by the way. The former Stoke defender is now set to undergo a medical at the Foxes to, to complete the deal. Leicester were facing opposition to sign the Aussie 24-year-old after his impressive showing at the World Cup in Qatar, where Australia reached the final 16. The BBC reports that Dundee United, Soda's former club, will receive up to $5 million as part of previous add-on clauses inserted into the deal that saw him join Stoke. And Leicester boss Brendan Rodgers is also looking to pull off several other high-profile deals on the final day of the transfer window. And elsewhere, Smithy, Italian midfielder Jorginho is officially making the move from Stamford Bridge to Emirates Stadium. He leaves Chelsea after four and a half years Arsenal manager Mikhail Ateta had this to say. Jorginho is a midfield player with intelligence, deep leadership skills, and a huge amount of Premier League and international experience. He's won in his career, but he still has the hunger and huge willingness to contribute here. We are so pleased to sign Jorginho and welcome him and his family to the club. So now he moves to Arsenal, Smithy. Who's the last famous Australian Harry to play in the Premier League? Oh, gosh i get a mind blank right now. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, you won't be, you won't be winning Stump Smithy, which no. We're promoting uh, now as well. Uh, Harry Kuehl, actually. That's Harry the one. Remember Harry Kuehl? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's 11.32 here on SENZ. Yes, it is time for you to call us. 0800 uh, 150 Robbie's on the phones today. And uh, Logan will be uh, hopping across uh, from the sports desk to the quiz desk uh, to make sure that uh, we run the cutter. Because I'll tell you why. We're up for 100 bucks this morning, $100. Uh, in the meantime, here is the news with Aroha.
2: Ian Smith's had a good match here.
5: Stumped by Smithy.
2: Ian Smith really is top class at his job.
1: I will say, Smithy, uh, before we get into Stumped here where there's a $100 TAB bonus bear up for grabs, I probably need to arrange my bottom bar a little bit because uh, I have right above the Stumped Sting audio of you from last year singing country road now i wouldn't want to play that accidentally would i
3: no you wouldn't absolutely wouldn't In fact i thought that was embargoed by now i I would have thought there was a ban on that um and 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 in fact what there is is a copyright on it so from now on and anytime it's played i get buckaroos now i don't know who's going to pay it but i get money every time it's played from now on in uh speaking of money Speaking of money, uh, who's uh, in line this morning for us? Right.
1: Well, I'm not paying your royalty checks, mate, so I've just deleted it. <laughs> uh, Fair first, at the crease, we've got Kyle from Whangarei. Come in, mate. Are you staying high and dry?
0: Yeah, mate. It, uh, yeah, got pretty battered out here last night and uh, the sun's out and shining today and hopefully drying things out.
3: So uh, for you individually, Kyle, uh, any problems?
0: Ah no no, we're we're pretty safe, mate. To be honest, um our house is up slightly on a on a slight hill, so so we don't tend to get too much flooding. But as I said, quite a bit of the region was affected, as everyone's probably already seen.
3: when mm. uh, well, our thoughts go out to uh, all those people uh, in whangarei and Northland uh, and even f- uh, even further north. uh So uh, thanks, our thoughts with you, me. mate, and we 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 wish you all the best, Kyle, in uh, the endeavour. Uh, to walk away this morning with a uh, hundred dollars. What subjects uh, does Kyle have available to him, Logan?
1: Yeah, he's hoping you can become a winner today here on Stumped. Kyle, the topics for you to choose from are the FA Cup, rugby sevens, and golf.
5: Oh, none of them are my uh, my strengths. I'll go uh,
1: go golf, please. All right. Good luck. I have to say, sometimes when we put golf in here, we bring in some pretty tough questions. they're stumped after <laughs> all, but these ones, maybe not so bad. We'll see how we go. Uh, first question for you, Kyle. What is Tiger Woods' first real name?
0: Ah, what is his first name? Nah, she's, uh, she's looted me straight away, guys. I can't even think of it, to be honest. Sorry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
1: A bit like uh, you throwing Harry Kuehl at me. Smithy, over to you. Now,
3: I, I think it, like, it be, I could get this wrong, Kyle, so don't panic here. Um, <laughs> I think it be, I think it begins with E. Um, I, I'm looking at an El, Elston or an Eldrick or uh, I'll go
0: El, uh, El, Elston. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
1: You're close, Smithy. You said it. Eldrick. No. <laughs> really? Eldrick. I can't believe that. Okay,
0: Kyle.
3: You're a survivor. Well done,
0: mate. Uh, <laughs> I Lucky. I thought you were going to nail
3: that one, in. Oh, I should have nailed it. I mean, hell, God, the most famous sportsman in the world. And you don't. Neither of us know his first name. How dumb are we? A pair of us. It's ridiculous, Kyle. The most famous <laughs> sportsman on earth. All right. Okay. Uh, question two. All right. What's Coi- his last name? What's his last? Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Woods.
1: Uh, second question for you, Kyle. The US Masters will take place in April. Who is the defending champion?
0: Right. Let me just um, just whittle this down. I just need to
3: think of who who won it oh. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the presentation yeah, yeah. in the cabin. Who gave it to yeah. who? Um, I know that um, the handing over was done by oh. uh, the Japanese it's player it, it, Matsuyama, it, it,
0: it, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Matsuyama, isn't it? I'm sure it's Matsuyama's the defending champ.
1: One okay. of the worst Let's things
0: I have ever seen done on
1: a cricket field. Smithy, <sighs> really, I know you're visualising it. I can tell.
3: Yeah, Matsuyama Ooh. handed it over, um, oh. and. I've got to say, um, I I, I could absolutely get this wrong as well, which is also pathetic. I'm trying to think who he handed it over to. Uh, Did he hand it over to Rory?
0: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
1: Scotty Scheffler. Oh, of
3: course it was. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty (laughs) Scheffler pathetic Ian
1: it's yeah. alright <laughs> oh, there's one there's one question to go here Kyle $100 TAB bonus bet on the line here who currently holds the number one spot in the world golf ranking for men
0: that would have to be let me think it
1: uh oh Rory, Rory McIlroy
9: Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes.
1: Yeah, smash it out of the park, mate. $100 TAB TAB bonus bet is yours, Rory McIlroy, the current world number one. Smithy.
3: Yeah, despite the the great performances too from John Rahm, who uh, is uh, really Mm. knocking the door down on Rory McIlroy, but Mm. Rory McIlroy is the number one. Um, Man, Kyle, um, you haven't been lucky with the weather, but you got lucky this morning. I think it's fair to say I should have got John Eldrick. And I certainly mm. should have got you on mm. Scotty Scheffler. For God's sake, I saw the whole tournament and the presentation and I could not get it back to me. Uh, mate, uh, enjoy That's the 100 right. bucks. Thanks very much for taking part. Enjoy the 100 bucks, Robbie will take, yeah, make sure he's got your details. Um, and uh, let's hope you can hopefully, you can turn it into a, a lot more money. Well well, well played. Congratulations. And uh, we'll hope to speak to you again, Kyle. And dry out. Dry awesome. out. Uh, and yeah. along with all your, your, your folk.
0: We will.
3: Thanks, and Have a nice morning, guys. Thank you. It, it is uh, kyle from whangarei uh, right in that uh, knee-deep in it. Actually, a lot of those people up there, and even worse. So, wish you uh, all the very best, and a little bit of TAB money heading in your direction. It's 11:41. Uh, uh, when we return, it's time to catch up with Andy Thompson. It's Rural Roundup Day, being Wednesday, of course. Right, uh, let's uh, get across to uh, Andy Thompson, of course, uh, because it's a rural roundup day, and uh, you can listen to Andy uh, on all frequencies except for those in Auckland and Wellington. And uh, if my eyes don't deceive me, uh, Andy Thompson is still in Christchurch. And aren't you the lucky one, Andy Thompson? You got to see Elton John. Listen to where he didn't fly to Auckland to go see him. G'day, Smithy. Exactly, mate. Yes, just as well
0: I didn't fly to Auckland. I'm uh, very pleased about that. Yeah, last Tuesday night, and played here. As, as it turned out, his last concert ever in New Zealand. And uh, I can tell you, the uh, 27 to 30,000 people who were at that concert particularly enjoyed it. I know quite a few of my friends actually flew to Auckland and got caught up in that disastrous weather event, and uh, felt really, really sorry for them uh, because it was such a such a great night. But uh, yeah, what a what a shambles that has been.
3: What a shambles it's been, of course, and it an impacts uh, very heavily on on your area as well. We've seen. Most of the shots of the flooding have pertained to um, the urban areas and, you know, and uh, the streets being awash, etc. Uh, things overflowing in all parts of Auckland and Northland now. Uh, but of course, it's taking its toll on the agricultural side of things as well. And uh, that uh, will impact on uh, us as, uh, as buyers.
0: Absolutely, Smithy. You've nailed it. And actually on today's show, um, I'm leading off with Alan Cole, who is the president, original president of Auckland Federated Farmers, to get a real sense of how badly the impact has hit the Auckland region. I know around the rest of the country, we kind of think of Auckland as being all urban and not a lot of agriculture, but there actually is quite a bit of agriculture in the greater Auckland area, particularly um, particularly fruit and vegetables. And, And we've seen those terrible shots of onions all over the street. And and all over the roads as they got washed away. And so we are going to talk about that. Um, I've been reading some articles this morning also about, you know, stock getting out, fences being destroyed, uh, and stock being washed away, and cows wandering up and down the roads. One week to McDonald's, probably a little bit early to go to McDonald's. That one that might wait a few years might end up there in another way. But, you know, there, there are quite <laughs> um, quite big issues. So we just, um, we are going to talk to Alan about it. And, and I think, um, to be fair, Timothy, I think obviously the inundation of the Auckland urban area is obviously a massive story, and, and it is incredibly um, moving to see it, and particularly what blew me away on Friday night, and I don't know about you, but just the pictures of Auckland Airport being flooded. I just couldn't comprehend that. I thought, oh my God, are we living in a third world country or what, when when something like that happens? but. Going back, the, the flooding in Northland, of Coromandel, um, right over the top of the North Island into the Waikato and down into the Bay of Plenty um, is a significant event. And it is going to impact on prices, uh, cost of living. Um, all of these vegetables, all of these products, are going to get more expensive.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's all about supply and demand. Of course, it's basic economics, whether it's uh, within the city or uh, in rural areas as well. Andy, one of the other things... Um, of interest to me uh, with a bit of a farming background or such as, uh, uh, and being involved uh, in doing uh, a little bit of uh, work around sharing time with that is, is wool. Wool is an interesting one for me and uh, there's a headline on stuff um, this morning uh, saying wool is cool, so why isn't it selling? Um, and you know, this used to be such a big aspect and income earner for the New Zealand farming industry. What has happened here?
0: Mate, that's a great question, and if you can answer that question, you could become a very, very rich man, I promise you. Um, I did a rural news feed on SENZ today talking about wool. One farmer in particular said that uh, in 2010, his wool income from the farm was $80,000. Uh, last year it cost him $25,000. So wool now is about, strong wool is about $1. twenty to $1. fifty a kilo. Uh, it used to be around 5 to $10 a kilo, and no one can understand why an environmentally sustainable natural fiber like wool is worthless in this day and age when we are just beating the drum of sustainability there's there's various reasons why it is Uh, and lots of people are trying uh, to do something about it and if you talk to anyone involved in the wool industry, Smithy, they, they all say, they all strongly believe that strong wool's time will come again. And I think it will. I just think it needs some real leadership and people point to certain things. And this is a classic example. Why isn't every single house in New Zealand being insulated with wool, not with fiberglass, plastic pink bats, you know, god awful stuff. There's some things that we can do, some levers as a country we should pull to help our farmers and to make wool uh, a sustainable, fantastic product that it is. Um, Buy wool carpet is another thing. Don't buy synthetic polyester. And Bremworth are doing an incredible job. They've stopped making um, uh, polyester carpet. They will only do wool now. So there are some things happening, but still not fast enough.
3: No, not fast enough, uh, Andy. What, uh, what is coming up, though, very fast, uh, is uh, the start of your show in about nine minutes' time. So before you leave us, uh, what else are you focusing on?
0: Oh, uh, yes, so as I said, we've got Alan Cole, from Federated Farmers' President. We've got Phil Duncan from Weatherwatch. We're going to talk a little bit of weather. Um, we've got uh, Paul Fairbrother from Waterforce and Christchurch. Pumps. Um, how not to have what happens to me over a late, long weekend when I was on the farm, Smithy, has had my effluent pumped so up to knee, up to my neck, and effluent trying to fix that. Uh, make sure you get that under control. bit of sport with Brendan Telfer and uh, Alistair Taylor from Overseer, some new farm software.
3: Okay, Uh, look forward to it. Uh, Andy Thompson there, I'll let you go, Andy, and you can do your last-minute prep there. Uh, That's uh, Andy Thompson with Rural Roundup on uh, all our frequencies, except those uh, in Auckland and Wellington, and uh, looking at the impact, of course, on uh, what is happening in terms of this rain in the north. Terrible, terrible stuff impacting uh, across uh, the rural area. Uh, as well quite significantly, as we will hear very shortly. Uh, It is 11.52. We'll also hear very shortly from Staff, who's on uh, uh, between uh, 12 and 1 in Wellington and Auckland, and then after 1 o'clock, of course, across the nation. It is coming up to uh, 11.58 here on SENZ. Just time to pop across to uh, the main studio where Staff is poised uh, already with his show beginning at uh, midday. Uh, Staff, interesting
6: show yesterday. Lots of feedback on that. Mountains, Smithy, and a lot from across in Australia, actually, because I talked to Jimmy Smith, as we do have our um, across SEN uh, station live cross, and uh, when I told him we'd talk to him, uh, he messaged me after, he said he just listened to it, and uh, he said everyone needs to hear that. Um, so good having Campbell Johnston on yesterday with, with the big announcement, and um, yeah, it was great yesterday, really good. Enjoyed the golf interview too? On, on Phil? Yeah, it wasn't that interesting, eh? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Phil Mickelson, oh, he's a bit of an enigma, but, um, you know, you got to give both sides to every story, Smithy, as you know. Yeah, you'd absolutely do. Uh, and I'm sure that's what you'll be doing today on
3: your show, Steph. What have you got lined up?
6: Uh, Midday Madness, the tennis goat debate carries on. Novak, Roger or Rafa, who's the goat? And everyone's got a different opinion, a different reason. And that's part of our water cooler Wednesday as well. We've gone around all the staff and said, who's your tennis goat? Going to catch up with Jim Bruford, who's a very busy man at the moment. He's the New Zealand Bloodstock Insurance Advisor. All that money changing hands at Karaka and in the insurance must be a massive whirlwind. So I'm going to catch up with him. And one I've been looking forward to for a little while, Georgia Miller, this new 18-year-old black Mm. black fern sensation. Got her on just after one o'clock. I'm so excited for the future of this young woman. She's unbelievably dynamic. And two years ago, or a year ago, she was at smithy, and she got player of the final in Sydney. It's a meteoric rise, so let's have a chat to her. (laughs)
3: Well, you know, that's what I like too uh, about the seven staff is the the pathway going forward seems uh, very, very open and transparent. Uh, You look at uh, Carlos's boy, Peyton, Mm, mm. uh, you know, uh, straight out of uh, Hamilton Boys High First 15 gets an opportunity so they're giving them opportunities young. Mm.
6: Don't forget too, Smith, I did want to say uh, happy anniversary today. For what? 42 years ago on this day. What's that? Comes in, bowls. Oh, it's underarm. Oh, it is too February the 1st. My godfather. Well, should I say unhappy anniversary?
3: Jesus, I usually take that day off to get the <laughs> mental side of things worked out. Uh, okay, I'll do that tomorrow.